get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sagan gets behind him. Two save, Bennington. Duchesne, far corner, backhand on. Rebound, left pad save, Bennington. Shot on, Bennington, another save. Long shot coming in, pass on. Rebound, robbed by the glove of Bennington. Over the left leg. What a save on a Pavelski chance. Hockenbach shoots it into traffic. Doesn't get on. Loose puck to the far circle. And Bennington to the wing. He denies Sam Steele. And then the Stars get it to Haskinen on a partial break. Shoots it on. Rebound put into the corner by Butch Navich. Big save, Bennington. Two on one. Dallas in. Robertson robbed by Bennington in the glove. Jordan Bennington has been outstanding tonight. Got to agree with that assessment. That's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, right here on 101 ESPN last night. Hey, man, I have been critical of Jordan Bennington. I'm not going to come on here and be a fraud with Alex and T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario at 11 a.m. here on a Friday morning. Benner was great last night. Now, I want to say this up front. He was great the first three games of last season. Absolutely outstanding. And then things went south for him. But all we can judge is the immediate action we've been able to see so far, Alex. And what we saw last night... Jordan Bennington was your best penalty killer, which is what you needed. They go three for three on the PK last night. That was a huge issue for this team a year ago. When you needed a big save in a big moment, Benner was there. There weren't a ton of those high danger chances that we saw last year, but there were a few of them. And when those took place, Jordan Bennington was the guy that made sure to deny them going in the other direction. It looked a lot like Ville Husso two years ago when he was able to make those kinds of saves. And I'm being totally genuine here. That's not a pot shot against Jordan Bennington. It's been my criticism of him. And last night, we saw him make the saves that were necessary. Really good start for Jordan Bennington. I thought he outperformed Jake Ottinger last night. And Jake Ottinger, in everybody's opinion, is a a, a Vezina Trophy finalist in the the season. I'm not saying Bennington's going to be there. But you outperformed that goaltender. And look, you did not see a lot of high-danger chances. I think they had a total of nine, according to Natural Statric, at even strength. Eleven. Yeah. Eleven total. So the they, they really kept it to the outside. But that's the whole point. And I think that's where the skepticism comes in of Bennington, that when there's breakdowns, at least our favorite Greg Wyshynski feels this way, that Bennington doesn't make those saves. Well, the Blues had 11 D-zone turnovers last night. Bennington made those saves. The one goal that was given up by Jordan Bennington, well, two if you want to count the offsides, but the one goal that was given up was because he was being aggressive to try and poke check it away from Jamie Benn. He was calm in between the pipes, but when he had to be aggressive, when he had to flounder for those saves, 
he made them. And it didn't, it wasn't. You it said wa- the word flounder. I want to stick on that for a second. I didn't feel like he was doing that very often. That was, that was another thing that I felt about his performance last night. Jamie talks about this all the time on the fast land, and I think it's a really good point. He felt just in control of all of his movements. Instead of being like so herky-jerky going from one side to the other, it, it felt as if it, everything was kind of smooth. It was quiet in the crease, as Jamie would say, and that that was nice to be able to see as well. He, he, you're right, because he wasn't like on his backside. He wasn't like swimming around in between the crease. But what I mean by floundering is he had to make the split pad sure. saves. And that's never what you want from your goaltender, but that's the criticism of him. It's the, well, Bennington doesn't make those saves. Everyone was like, oh, who cares if they're backdoor tap-ins? He can't make those saves. Last night, he made every single save that he possibly could. And a lot of that is just Jordan Bennington being in the gaming mentality. Again, though, Bennington told Grant this on our pregame show. And he's always hot at the beginning of the season, and then it trickles away. So as much as I loved what I saw from Bennington last night, and I do believe that he could be a guy that has a save percentage around 9-10-9-12 and help this team do the playoffs, I also have to realize that Bennington does this, and I want to see what it looks like at the end of October and once I get into November. Yeah, and the thing for me was there was no back-breaking goal last night because he played really well in that third period. It was clear the Blues were on their toes. And if he allows one goal, all that momentum, like the Stars clearly had it in that third period. One goal and it breaks the Blues, and they're probably losing that game, and they're not even getting a point of that, out of that one because I thought the first and second period, I thought the Blues just, they were okay in the first, they were good in the second. That third period, though, it was clear they were on their toes and just trying to survive to get to overtime as you got about halfway through it. Yeah. So the fact of the matter that he was able to make those big-time saves and make a couple of that rob potential goals, that's what you want from your goalie. I That is the... I don't look necessarily at save percentage and goals against early on in the year. It's a matter of do you make the big save when it is needed, and he did that last night. Yeah, that third period was a prototypical, we don't want to make any mistakes, and they were playing back. And Berube even said it afterwards. Like, if you do that, the teams are going to bring it at you, and you're not going to get any scoring chances. And And that's where you need Bennington. To be clear, I'm not making any overall sweeping general generalizations in terms of my takeaways from one game last night. Exactly. Last season, in the first four games, Jordan Bennington was 3-1. and one. He saved 103 of the 110 shots against. That was good for a 936 save percentage. He was incredible in his first four starts last year. And then we saw the floodgates start to open. It wasn't just him. The defense also started to really sputter and we saw teams start to expose them with those backdoor tap-ins. Montreal puts up six. The Kings put up five. The Islanders, four. Boston, three. And then it just kept going from there. And they were never able to fully get back on track. That's what they have to avoid this year. I think that what you saw last night was highly encouraging from Bennington. It's got to be sustainable. That's the biggest thing for the Blues this year is you cannot get into that valley the way that they did a year ago where you have to have the general manager come out and say, hey, good teams are able to limit the valleys, and our team right now can't seem to find a way to do that. They can't stop the bleeding. So that is a positive from last night, but we need to see it for three, four, five weeks before we can really make a conclusion that this is something that has legitimately changed from a year ago. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing with Bennington is, like, even if his save percentage is high, you mentioned that game against Seattle where he gave up three goals. He'd have games last season where he'd have a 900, a 919 save percentage, but he'd still give up three or four goals. And that's not that's not going to benefit this team. I mean, we saw last night the offense is going to be a little bit slower played than what we expected, at least in the start of the season. But if you've got a game where – I mean, we were begging 
for games like this last season Absolutely. where it was a one goal or a tie game going into the third period. If Bennington's giving up one or two goals a game, you're putting yourself in a prime position to do exactly what we're all expecting them to do this season. All right, the other guy that I wanted to spotlight, Alex, and we're going to get to more of this coming up later on today. 101 ESPN is your home of the St. Louis Blues. You heard it last night right here on 101 ESPN as the Blues opened up their season. Alex had pre- and post-game uh, coverage right here. We'll have Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, to help us break down, first of all, what he saw from Jordan Bennington last night, but also what he saw from the defense last night. But before we get to any of that, I do want to ask you, Alex, what you saw from one of the new blues that is not new to our town, and that's Oscar Sundquist. What would you see from him? Did his performance stand out to you? Everything that I needed to see from Oscar Sundquist. I, I mean, it was so good to see him back out there, and it was certain situations that it was impactful. Look at five on five. You didn't see a lot of them. I think it's probably getting a little bit better. You had a tight hockey game. You were putting your best players out there. You did have a lot of special teams, but Oscar Sundquist on the penalty kill was the sole takeaway with his play last night. First of all, their, their first shift that they had, he was hitting everything. He had a scoring chance while he's falling down in front of the net. That's what you like to see. But the penalty kills, I mean, they had four power plays Dallas did, and only one of those power plays had a shot on goal. They had two of them in the second period. Other than that, the Blues created shot shorthanded, and Sunquist was the one taking faceoffs. He had a faceoff in overtime where it was four on three with 40 seconds to go in their own zone, and he wins it and dumps the puck. That's 15 seconds off of that clock. So the fact that Oscar Sunquist and a penalty kill went 100% last night, it's not a coincidence that those two things happen. That is a massive benefit to this Blues team. I think he's in that Noel Chari role, and I love it. Yeah. I, I, I love Absolutely. the role that he's been able to take on. Now, Again, kind of like with Benner, a, a lot of what we're saying today, and I'm not doing this to be the wet blanket, I, I'm really not, but we saw it early on last year where the Blues came out and it was like, oh, this is going to be a great season, first three games, looked really good, and then everything fell apart, so I'm trying to be a little more reserved in my judgments hey, this time you around. you and me both, brother. But last night, what we saw from Sonny is basically what they got last year from Nolachari, and Let's be fair to Noel Achari. He was great for them last year. He was the last thing that was a problem for the Blues in 2022. The problem was everything that took place around him. But if Sonny can keep up what we saw yesterday, man, he's going to be kind of like what we've seen from the Cardinals in recent years where a lot of their under-the-radar signings end up being a lot better than the big-time flashy signings that they make in the offseason. Sonny was one of those glue guys that you go out there and you're like, hey, this guy's going to be a fourth-line center for us. He's going to kill penalties. He's going to take all the shots off of his body. Like, this is what his role is, and he understands that, and he's totally comfortable with it. He can be your Chris Stratton. Goes out there and takes the ball for you regularly. That That's what Oscar Sundquist needs to be, and last night was a great start in that regard. 100%. And, and he did almost everything, it felt like. You know, he, Alex mentioned, threw the body around, blocked shots, especially in overtime. That four-on-three, he's out there, and he blocks that one key shot from the point there. And it allows the Stars then to kind of scramble. So I, I think he's a difference maker on the penalty kill. Like, I, I think the penalty kill, if we're looking at the Blues, just kind of looking at, like, groupings, line combinations, the defensive pairings, the power play, the penalty kill. I thought the penalty kill was the most impressive thing last night. And I think that stems from Oscar Sundquist. I thought Pareko, his pairing. Pareko and Letty was the most impressive uh, thing that I saw last night. I, I thought it was really interesting. Moneypuck.com had them as the lowest expected goals against out of the, all of their defensive players. I, th I thought he was great. And I thought Letty had some really good moments last night as well. You know who really stood out to me? And they had him on that pairing by the end of the night. Tyler Tucker. Yeah. He looked Tyler really Tucker good. looked really good last night as well. So credit where it's due. I, I've been skeptical of what his potential is for the team, like what the ceiling looks like for him. I thought he looked really good. So if if I was doing the same thing, PK definitely up there. Bennington definitely up there. 
one other thing that I needed to bring up was uh, I, the guy that gets crapped on a whole lot here in St. Louis. I thought Pareko and his pairing really good last night. Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially because they went up against that top line that has Jason Robertson and Joe Pavelski, and I forgot what they ended with, but in terms of expected goals, they didn't have a lot of them. The high danger chances were a little significantly dropped. The high danger chances actually came on Krug and Falk. Yeah. So, and if that's what you're seeing with Pareko and Letty, and you're giving opportunities to Tyler Tucker on that spot, that's a good sign for the defense, which we'll touch on in the 12 o'clock hour. If there's a negative, I did think it was the, the Krug and Falk pairing. Yeah. I, it's not, again, none of this is overly high or overly low from me because it's one game, and you went up against a really good opponent last night. That was a good point to be able to get early absolutely. on in the season. I was not overly impressed by what we saw defensively from Krug and Falk. Yeah, uh, they they had their moments where they, they, they broke up some plays. The problem with Krug and Falk is – when you're playing this zone defense, it's not so much making the pass out of your zone, it's putting it on your tape and skating it out of the zone. That was what Letty did really well. And that's what Krug didn't do. And like knowing Krug, and remember when Wyshynski and I asked him what Krug did so well that made him so good in Boston, he said he was quick. He got the puck out of the zone fast. It felt like they hesitated a lot last night. There were a couple of plays that the pass out of their own zone didn't actually get out of the zone. And some of that's on the forward to make sure that the pass is clean and it gets out of the zone, but that was a lot of the problem. What I didn't what I what I liked that I saw from Krug and Falk was the backdoor tappins weren't there a whole lot, and I mean those were the guys last season that the backdoor tappins were nonstop behind them, and at least that didn't happen a lot last night. Alongside Alex and T Bone, I'm BK. Plenty more discussion about the first game of the season coming up later on in the show. We'll get back to the Blues coming up at 12 o'clock. Alex will break down what he saw from the new scheme and why he was impressed by what they were able to do against the Stars on night number one. But coming up next. There are some big-picture takeaways that we can learn from the four teams that are remaining in this year's postseason. We'll get to some of those coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One and two, the count. And did he go? He did! It's over! The Philadelphia Phillies are headed back to the National League Championship Series! Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That's what it sounded like on Turner yesterday as the Philadelphia Phillies officially put an end to the 2023 Atlanta Braves' historically great campaign the Braves didn't have the pitching they weren't able to get the hitting they were out homered 11 to 2 in the series and bada boom bada bing you are going home my friends Alex will turn that mic on for you Alex (laughs) interrupt I do think there are some big picture takeaways that we can learn from the teams that are remaining in the postseason there are only four of them at this point we are officially to the CS in both of these respective leagues my biggest thing that I took away early on in this thing Man, if you've got two dynamite lockdown starting pitchers, you got a chance to get to the CS. Now, I don't think that guarantees you anything once you get there. We've been talking about this prior to the show today. I'll be very curious to see what happens uh, to a team like the Phillies if Ranger Suarez is not able to continue what he's done so far in the playoffs. And now you got to go a little bit more into that depth, especially in your bullpen, in a seven-game series. That might change some things. But we've seen this now two straight years. Where Wheeler and Nola, that is enough. We saw it from the Rangers where Evaldi and Montgomery, that was enough for them. 
I do think as you go into the po- or into the offseason, if you're a Cardinals fan, that ends up informing the, some of the decision-making that you should have as a team as well, where you say to yourself, all right, we got to get two of them, and we got to get two studs. It's not about going out there and finding, like, you know, a number three, number four starter that can slot in just a little bit ahead of Miles Michaelis. No, no, no. Go out there and get the dude that you think can actually win you a game in the postseason in a game one or a game two. Go get the dude that actually won a game in game one or game two of the postseason in Aaron Nola. But you're right. That's one of them. You know, the other thing for me, watching the Phillies kind of take care of business and really the Houston Astros doing it as well is getting guys who show up when the brights are the lightest. Like that is the moment. Did you hear that I said brights are the lightest? Okay, I wanted to make sure. Just get that out there. Uh, that's the moment that I feel like the Phillies knew. And frankly, it's when the Phillies know that they're going to win. It's because they know that in the biggest situation, Bryce Harper is going to come up with a big play. Guys, Trey Turner was freaking incredible in that series. And I know everyone was like, ah, Trey Turner, that's too much money, and he's not going to be great on the back end. He's probably going to help them get to another World Series. Worth it. You've got to have the guys that are the best when you're on the – Make it or break it stage. And look at Bryce Harper. That's Bryce Harper, man. And so as look much at as Nick Castellanos, who has been like fine as a hitter yeah. so far. Kyle Schwarber last career? year for yeah. the Phillies. And look, I mean I know it was a short sample size. For the Rangers yeah. has yeah. that. I know it was a short sample size, and I and I know that, you know, when you go back and you look at the Braves and you're like, well, their big guys didn't do it and they were great in the regular season. That's what I'm talking about. As much as I believe that the one two punch needs to be there, man, if if Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt or Wilson Contreras come to the plate and you need the run to score and they can't get that for you, then you're not getting to the CS, man. The Phillies are there back-to-back years because Bryce Bleeping Harper says, I got this, guys. So yeah. much of this is just can your best players carry you. Yeah, exactly. It's what like, you it, need it, it really is. It's, it's a matter of do they hit in the postseason because why are the Dodgers at home? We can talk as much as we want about their pitching, and we should. That's a big part of the conversation. But the truth is, their two best players that are MVP candidates and should be are two of the best players in the league, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, combined for one hit in the NLDS. Why are you sitting at home right now? Because of that. That's why. Our, our best players didn't play like our best players. Why did the Cardinals not advance past the uh, wild card round last year? Because Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt couldn't buy a hit. That's it. Like that. That is enough. It, we can talk about the decision to pull Quintana in game one. Like We can talk about all of this stuff till we're blue in the face. Man, the Cardinals didn't hit. This year, the Dodgers didn't hit enough home runs, and the or excuse me, the the Braves didn't hit enough home runs, and the Dodgers just didn't hit enough. So that that's a big piece of this as well, Alex. Your best players got to play like the best players in the postseason, and I know that sounds simplistic, but it's something that gets overlooked too often. Yeah, the the best players in your lineup have got to hit, and they cannot shrivel under the pressure of October. And I, I think you saw that clearly this year. I mean, you look at the Phillies; you mentioned it. All those guys on those big term contracts. Who cares what they look like on the back end? Why? Because they're pushing for a potential another banner to fly in Philadelphia. Yeah. So it, it doesn't really matter. If your stars show up, you've got a good chance. And, and when I say stars, they've got to be able to slug, too. Like, I, I know we talk about, like, oh, the hit for contact. Like, Arizona, like, the, the reason they're winning in October is because they started hitting home runs again, too. So it, it's that for me. And to me, it comes down to as much as it is, it is the starters. You need two just dogs at the front of that rotation. Mm-hmm you got to have an electric bullpen. And I, I thought this is the area where the Cardinals were light last year, too. Like, going into that playoff series, it was, what, Helsley-Gallegos, and that was, like, it for the Cardinals' pin at that time last year. The Relievers ERA is 2.86. Starters ERA, 4.52 in the postseason. Like, bullpens have got to be shut down because you are using them way more in the playoffs than you are even the rotation. And you can even go beyond that. I mean, you look over in the piece from David Schoenfeld over um, on ESPN.com earlier today, 
and he talked about the lead changes that we have seen. It's basically non-existent in this postseason. For all of the great games that we have seen, uh, there's very few that have changed leads late in innings. In fact, in the first 21 games, we've seen a total of six lead changes, none more than one in any individual game. In only two of those six lead changes, in 21 games so far in the postseason, have come beyond the fourth inning. In other words, you score early against the opposing team starter, especially like the second time through the order, and then you find a way to maintain that lead with your bullpen. And if you can't do that, you can't advance in the postseason. And the chances are you're not going to be able to advance like even to the postseason. So this this pitching staff has to get upgraded, not just in the rotation, but there should be a trickle-down effect as well of, hey, can Matthew Libertor be a bullpen piece for you next year if he's not going to be a starter? Is Zach Thompson going to figure into some of those like – Basically what you're seeing right now from Kinta Maeda when he was in the ALDS with the Minnesota Twins. Can he be a piggyback option in that third game when you've got your your number three or four starter on the mound? That's something that he could maybe factor into next year. What are you going to do with some of these young starters that are right down in the minor leagues right now? All of that stuff is something that should be considered. There's also one other thing that I think is going to be very interesting to seeing this offseason, boys. These teams that have been eliminated – The Dodgers, Braves, to name two in particular. Mets, I know they didn't make the playoffs, but a highly underwhelming season for them. They are very motivated to add pitching going into the offseason. The Braves have now had two straight years where you have this great offensive core in place and the pitching breaks down as we get closer to the postseason. I wonder what they do with Charlie Morton. He's got a $20 million option next year for the team. They could decline that if they wanted to. He hits free agency, and they could go just replace him on the open market. Maybe they say, you know what? It makes more sense for us to go get Sonny Gray on a $20 million per year basis, and we think he's going to be more sustainable over the long haul because Charlie Morton, for how great he is, he is getting up there in age. He's kind of the facsimile to what Adam Wainwright has been here in St. Louis with much better strikeout stuff. The Dodgers, who buddy. They're getting called out by everybody left and right. People want to change the postseason format basically because the Dodgers are failures. They're, they, they have been complete frauds over the last 10 years other than in the shortened pandemic season that we all agree is fake. I saw Xavier Scruggs talking about how firing Dave Roberts would be a bad idea. Like, why are we even bringing that up right now? It, it, all of this is not – man, fix the roster. Yeah. The, the roster is your problem. Stop They've been going on Kershaw. cheap on their pitching for the last year and a half now. They've got to go out there and sign some dudes. And top chief among that list should be a guy like Blake Snell. So there's going to be some serious heat for all of these starting pitchers that are available. There are not very many of them available at the top of the market. That's going to add even more intrigue on who is going to be in that pitching market and what the competition will be for the same starting names that we've been talking about here in St. Louis. I I think what makes this interesting because this is going to be a bidding war. The thing that the Cardinals do not like to get involved in is the the budget for the Cardinals this year cannot be written in pen from ownership. It just cannot. Like if, if you're going to fix it's gotta be. It's gotta be written in pencil and then you go, oh man, we had to give an extra five million dollars and hell maybe even an extra year to Aaron Nola to help get him here to St. Louis. All right, now we've got to be prepared to, whatever the budget was, increase it another $10 million because we still got to go add two more starters and two bullpen arms. Like You know what might get super like, terrifying for the Cardinals? 
we got to either add more talent into our conversations with the White Sox for Dylan Cease, or we got to go four years on this contract for Sonny Gray yeah. after already getting Aaron Nola. And that might end up being the kind of decision-making that they have to make this offseason. It's going to make you highly uncomfortable. But those are the kinds of things Once you got to do when you're in this spot. You did this to yourself. You did this to yourself in terms of not developing these pitchers fast enough to bring up to the majors. And, I mean, you're going to have to find a way to set yourself above the rest. And the good news for the Cardinals is, and nobody wants to hear it, they have a lot of assets that they could trade to bring in a legit starting pitcher for sure. so you don't have to win two bidding wars. Their focus right now needs to be winning the main bidding war, which is Aaron Nola. And then after that, it's, hey, let's see if we can get Sonny Gray. If we can't, we've got these assets and we don't want to part with, but we have an opportunity to go get a Gilbert, a Dylan Cease, something like that, and we're going to have to do it. As I'm watching this Phillies lineup, by the way, it really makes me not want to part with the lineup that the Cardinals currently have, because a lot of the pieces that are kind of like filtering through the middle of their order, so like an Alec Bohm, a Bryson Stott, those kinds of guys, that's kind of what you're looking at with a Donovan, a Gorman, a Newt Bar. It's nice to have those accent pieces to the main big boppers that you've got in your order, where the Cardinals are able to have Goldie, Arenado, Contreras, maybe Jordan Walker as a piece of that of the future. They've got all those dudes in Philadelphia, but don't forget about the under-the-radar guys that have been producing as well for them and that are playing well defensively. So I, I do think that that could serve as a a blueprint for the Cardinals going into the future as well. Spend the money. Spend the money in your rotation. Don't necessarily give up those open, assets. Open up the wallet. Coming up in take. 15 minutes, we'll get to Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, oh, God, we're already there. It's time for our football pick The standings after one week. T-Bone is in the lead once again with four points. Alex is in second. He got two points, two whole points last week. I did get one. We'll get to our football pick'em next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, what could go wrong this week? Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's time for our football pick'em challenge. If you're new to this, every single Friday, we go through the games for the weekend. That includes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday slate. That could be in the NFL or college football. We are going exclusively against the spread. No prop bets, no totals, none of that stuff. Just against the spread here on the show. The game has to be concluded by the time that we come on the air on Monday morning. All right, those are the rules. That's fine. I it's don't a scale want to of the Cowboys one, anyway. two, three, and that's uh, that's the simple way we go about things here on BK and Ferrario. So far, standings after last week. By the way, we do this every single month. Then we'll see where the scores are. Loser ends up getting punished. I got punished after the first first month. No surprise there. <laughs> After the first week, it's looking kind of similar. T-Bone is leading the pack with four points. Alex has two. I got my one-point game correct last week. We will go in leader's order so far this week. T-Bone, what's your first pick of the week, my friend? So my number one point play this week, I, 
I don't understand this line because I know there's a lot of questions. There's, a, there's a lot of question marks around that USC defense. Mm. Vegas is basically telling you, though, this is a pick em because it, it is now down to a two-and-a-half-point spread in favor of Notre Dame. St. Louis, America, trust me. USC's the better football team. Put away that four-leaf clover. There ain't no luck of the Irish. Put on your Trojan helmet. USC's going on the road. They're kicking Notre Dame's ass. Give me the two-and-a-half-point play well, for USC. First of all, BK doesn't like it, so good job to you, uh, BK, or T-Bone, to start this one off with a win, but I also like that play. Uh, Notre Dame stinks. Notre I was Dame so excited about Notre Dame, and after back-to-back weeks, Notre Dame has just been embarrassing. I'm not going to like this, but I'd go the other way. I would go the other way. There we go. All right, 1-0 for T-Bone. There's that, one point, baby. As disappointing as, you, as Notre Dame's offense has been, USC's defense is worse. And You're last not. week, they looked like they were sleepwalking through that game. Now, maybe they'll be more highly motivated this week in Notre Dame. I would have to assume that they will. This They've is... even been practicing in their USC-made rain. Uh, yeah, did you see what their coach was doing? Yeah. Oh, my God, squirting He was God. using squirting the equivalent them? of a uh, power washer, spraying it into the air and trying to follow yeah. around the players yeah. as they tried to catch the football. I it's, see no problem here. It's raining. Catch it, catch that's it. Great I, coaching. I think there's a real chance Notre Dame wins that thing outright. Um, right. I, d- I don't have enough confidence in that to pick it. I absolutely – I wanted nothing to do with that game, but I think it's going to be very close, and I think Notre Dame ends up coming out on top. Alex? One point, T-Bone. Congrats. All right, let's see if BK would go the other way on this one. So I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to stick with my trend and never – pick a college football Dude, game that, especially this week uh, I'm taking the home team that's the underdog I'm saying the Chicago Bears plus three against the Vikings no Justin Jefferson in that game Minnesota's defense can't really stop Terrible. much and uh, I don't know if you guys saw this but the coach uh, for Chicago he said that right now Justin Fields is seeing the field better than anybody he's ever seen so <laughs> watch out. I do think, though, Justin Fields with that DJ Moore magic, it's going to have some success. So I think the Bears stay close in this one. I don't know if they win, but I like the three-point spread. So the next one that I have got is uh, going to the NFL as well. Alex, I looked at the college football slate this week. The yes. only game that I was particularly interested in was potentially going with Mizzou um, uh, plus the points in Kentucky. I, I think they are going to win this one outright. We'll get to that later on today. I don't have enough confidence in it to put my stomach on the line, though. Well, so, it's not your stomach. It's your, well, it is your stomach, yeah. I guess, because you're eating baby food. That's I'm going to the NFL as well. The Cleveland Browns decided that they don't want to play Deshaun Watson again. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Let me fix that. Yeah. Deshaun Watson has decided that he still does not want to play football. So instead of going to DTR as they did two weeks ago, which ended horribly against the Baltimore Ravens, they're going to PJ Washington or PJ um, Tucker. Nope, not PJ Walker? Tucker as well. PJ Walker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Washington's the basketball player. Tucker, yeah. Tucker also was a basketball with the Panthers player last year. He was the good Walker one. Walker is the quarterback who previously played for the Carolina Panthers. He's horrendous. Well, he's really good in the XFL. Really bad in the NFL. They do not have a running game really to speak of since Nick Chubb has been out. Their defense is really good, but the 49ers are the best team in the NFL right now. So far this year, they've won by 23, 18, 19, 32. Their one close game was against the Rams. That was on the road. I don't think this one's going to be close either. Give me the 49ers minus the 9.5 points. They're not only going to win this game, their defense is going to outscore the Browns offense. All right. Well, if that doesn't happen, you lose. I, I kind of like that pick. Oh, I, good for you, BK. I don't trust Cleveland with the backup quarterback. Yeah, with their backup backup quarterback. <laughs> yeah. For me, my two-point play, I'm going to go to the NFL, and I'm looking at the Bengals. The Seahawks, oh, man, I, I fell in love with them. You know, I, I thought they were going to be a team that could compete with the NFC West. They stink. You know, they're, they're okay. They're going to make the playoffs. 
their, their defense is getting too much hype after that game where they played, checks notes, the crappy Giants. Um, so I, I like the Bengals, minus 2.5, get to 500 before they go on their bye. Kind of a small line, you're at home. I like Cincinnati and Burrow looked healthy last week. So give me Bengals, minus 2.5 against the Seahawks. All right, number two play for me. So I had one. I'm crossing it off because I'm going to go with my gut, and that's always a good sign. Sure. I'm taking the 49ers minus what, 10.5 points? 9.5. 9.5. 49ers minus nine and a half against the Giants. Like, wait, it's not it's not the Giants, no. or is that the Bills? Yeah, Bills. Who are the Niners got? <laughs> what are you? doing? I looked at the wrong game. I swear that they had the Giants. <laughs> All right, you lose your two point game automatically. <laughs> the Bills have the Giants. They are a minus fifteen point favorite. Would you like to have the Bills minus fifteen? Who the Niners have? The 49ers. He just have the gave Browns. this pick. Oh yeah, no, bleep that. I don't want to touch that one. Yeah. Wait, hold on. I looked at the wrong freaking schedule. Are we sure the Bears play the Vikings this week? Yeah, that is real. So how the hell did I get the Niners and the Giants? Did, is that Was that last week? I think you forfeit your two-point game. Probably should. What's going on? I don't know. I looked at the wrong schedule. Okay. just have a stroke on I think radio, so. But... Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go secondary with BK's pick. I'm going to also go with so my two-point So you two do like the 49ers? Play. I do like the 49ers. Yeah. Can you just say that so we've got it on the radio? Minus nine and a half. 49ers against Cleveland. My two-point play. That was I, I, I don't... I, yeah, I think I might have just had a stroke. We uh, we got there eventually. All right, my, my two-point play for the week. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Looking at the right schedule. <laughs> I, no, I, that's me. <laughs> I don't understand this one either. I think the Detroit Lions have been one of the best teams in the NFL so far this year. Their defense has been very good. Their offense has been everything we anticipated and really then some. They are a three-point favorite on the road at the Buccaneers. Hey, man, I get it. The Buccaneers are off to a really nice start. They're 3-1 and one on the season. They have been one of the surprises of the year. Can we look at who they've done it against? They have beat the Minnesota Vikings by three, the Chicago Bears, who have a horrendous defense, by ten, and then they beat the New Orleans Saints with a busted-up Derek Carr by 17. Cool, great, nice. Enjoy that. They got destroyed against Philadelphia. I think the same thing is going to happen in this game for the Detroit Lions. I think they win this game by 10 points, 31-21, something like that. Give me the Lions minus the three points. I don't think this one's even going to be in question. So, uh, well, I have, I got to jump. Do you have it too? No. Well, I was, are you going yeah, with this Yeah, that's game? mine. That, so this was my two-point play, and Philly was my three-point play, and I took the Philly one out because I liked San Francisco, but I wasn't as confident. And then, of course, I looked at the freaking schedule wrong. Detroit's my three-point play. Okay. I don't like the fact that I have two games that are the exact same as BK, yeah, but, but I guess that's good way. for my, like, strategery. Uh you're in front of peek me. So behind, so. Peek behind the curtain, by the way. Alex asked me about that game when you went to the bathroom before the show. Yeah. And I said, dude, I don't have a great feel for that game. I would avoid it. And here he is, one, looking at the wrong schedule. And yeah. then, two, picking this as his most confident game. <laughs> dude, you are in trouble this weekend. Probably. Probably. <laughs> All right. My three-point play. Probably. Let's follow me, America. Uh, my three-point play here. Guys, I hate picking against the boys. But Illinois... It's not me. It's freaking you. You are the reason that I am so negative about this program. You guys aren't good at anything. Anything. Maryland's going to kick their butt this weekend. Give me Maryland minus 13.5 against the Illini. Illinois got no shot in that one. They're going to get Potential letdown throttled. spot for Maryland. No, they're going to get killed. They're going to kill Illinois. It's not even going to be close. I like Maryland minus 13.5. At home. 
I looked at that one. I'm not going to lie to you. Didn't feel good enough about the spread, but I do. I, I, I like the pick. It's not on. me, man. It's the Illini football program. Man, they did this to you, not the other way around. All right, Alex has the Lions minus the three points uh, this weekend as well. My three-point play, I'm going back to the well. Give me the Ravens minus the four oh, points. God, that's a bad idea. In this London. has never gone poorly for me before. Oh, no, this game's in London. Too oh, late. Two hand came oh, off the no, chest piece. I forgot that this and was And I'm the one that didn't game. check the schedule. No, I did. That's the thing. Oh, no. Oh, hand no. was off the chest piece. Chest piece has been oh, removed. Oh, I've made a off. terrible mistake. Guys. Let's let's have a moment of honesty. You two are embarrassing us in this Pick'em Challenge. No, I did so much oh, research. If we on get the all matchup. of these right, we're going to not be embarrassing. All of the numbers nerds love the Ravens this week. They thought that the Ravens' offense last week outperformed expectations, and the problem was drops, and that's not sustainable over time. That's going to turn around. The Titans have this ru- this run funnel defense where everybody passes against them because they're such a good run defense. Well, you're stupid Ravens analytics passing offense. We're going to get back on track, and now I'm stuck because. They're in London. Okay. I'm nope. going to. Oh, okay. Hands are off the chess piece. Oh, God. I'll and let you change oh, it God. if you want. But no. It doesn't sound like you got another play. You well, go my, with my Philadelphia by minus the, seven. That the was way, the other one I was kind this of is, questioning. This is, no, this is me. I got to do it. This I got to do it. The this, Ravens minus four is my three point play, and I'm going to watch with the rest of you as the Ravens end up. <laughs> Winning this one 23 to 20, and I don't cover this. Hey. Is, this is great because I remember last week, hey, Alex picks yeah. the Buffalo Bills, and I said I like Jacksonville because they've been there for two weeks. BK goes, I would never bet on a London it's game, true. and here he is, his number three play. Guys, what's he doing with hey, guys, taking the London moment game? Moment of honesty, can I, can I get rid of my 49ers pick? No. <laughs> I know. I. I don't know what happened hey, in that second. You one. guys would prepare like T Bone over here. I did prepare. You would know A where the games are, B what week it is. I and did prepare. Three, but I did the equivalent like. of when you take a test and you like circle in the one that you know is right, but then you erase it because like, man, maybe not. Somebody on the text line makes a fair point. What? BK and Ferrario need some sleep. Seems like the new dads. <laughs> well, that's very true. Make sure you tune into the new episode of Mustachios and Pistachios. We'll explain that. Uh, by the way, a little bit of betting advice for all of you. I considered this. Unfortunately, the lines have moved a little bit in the direction that I'm just not comfortable with them. Um, if you want to take one of the big lines this week, I'm talking specifically about Miami and Buffalo. Big lines are typically a stay away. However... Teams favored by at least 13 and a half since the start of the 2021 season are 20 and two straight up. That doesn't mean much for you on the gambling front. You'll probably look it up. They're 11, 10, and one against the spread. That is concerning. That's a 50-50 proposition. Again, probably a stay away from you. However, when that team is at home as a 13 and a half point favorite or greater, they're 11 and five against the spread. The problem is when those teams are coming on the road. They're 0 five and one against the spread. So if you want to take Miami or Buffalo going into this weekend, the line is massive. Normally, that's a stay away from me. This upcoming weekend, it is something that you can consider. The other game that I was looking at for those concerned uh, or in question, uh, Mizzou plus the two points. I would. Uh, what did I do? I would follow me. What did uh, I do? Our, our great listeners, I would just follow T-Bone this week. These two. How did I get to San Francisco? How did he be kind of taking a game he never takes? To go <laughs> well, but London? apparently Baltimore's been there for a while. Tennessee just left yesterday. I, I feel good That's about a Baltimore it. win. No, you don't. I don't. Can I change my 49ers pick? I no, don't no. remember Coming up happened. next, ask us anything here on 101 ah! ESPN. The PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. One four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for ask us anything sports or otherwise that's what you can do on friday mornings here on bk and ferrario alex let's start with this from the 931 hey guys what are your go-to football sunday foods and have you guys added anything new to the menu this year let me start things out here alex as a new father you are the food connoisseur as a new father what i have found this year on sundays is that uh baby food <laughs> well buddy there is not a whole lot of time to be doing stuff like that so most of the time we uh, order in <laughs> we do pizza we'll bring in some wings stuff like that but on the baby bjorn there is not a lot of cooking that is taking place at casa de kylie have you tried the the baby bjorn absolutely we've been wearing them yeah that's how i do it yeah now I just let mine run amok in the living room while we'll I get cook. There. Yeah, you'll we'll get, get there. there. Uh, I actually, I told you guys, I sent you guys this picture. I've been doing homemade nachos these days. And Dude, you know, those nachos looked awesome. You know how I, I hate nachos because they get soggy and it's like you got to eat them when they're crisp. I've come up with a master plan of this in terms of putting them in the oven after you get all the stuff cooked. I bought this uh, this this uh, carnitas. Basically, they're carnitas tacos, but it's the pork that's already, like, seasoned in the carnitas. And I put it in the smoker for, like, four or six hours and then put it on top, put a little homemade pico de gallo on there. Mm. Oh, baby, that's what's up. I, man, I hope we, we come should on come on over. Let's do it. I'm in. Come on over, man. Uh, last week I made... Uh, Hot dogs? No, no. Those would have been good, too. They would have been. I made uh, barbecue pulled pork sliders last Sunday. Ooh. And then this Sunday I think I'm going to be making... Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do buffalo chicken pizza or if I'm going to do like a chicken bacon ranch pizza. I'm going to do one of those. Should we do this a BK weekend. and Ferrario cookbook? No, we should do a Sunday together, though. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. 314 is the air comfort service text line <laughs> from the 314. Hey, guys, what do you think the benefit should be for the top seeds for winning their division in Major League Baseball? It sure seems like people would be bothered or wouldn't be bothered if the top seeds were winning their series but they seem to be very bothered by the fact that they're not advancing over the past couple of seasons. I think there's already a massive benefit. I mean, here in St. Louis, what has been, T-Bone, what was your biggest takeaway from the Cardinal series last year? Avoid that damn wild card round. <laughs> and why was that? Because anything can happen in a best of three. Weird. So you're saying that there is an advantage to avoiding a 50-50 series. Yes. Well, this year it seems to be the opposite yeah. that I have been told. According to all of the national experts, because of the Dodgers, oh my God, the Dodgers, the 100 win Dodgers, this unbeatable force. Don't, You're making me uncomfortable. Yeah, the whole, like the shoulder shimmy there. What because the? they lost, I'm supposed to feel sorry for the teams that are advancing immediately to the NLDS. I'm sorry, man. I don't. I have zero sympathy for the Dodgers whatsoever. They went into the series without pitching, and when you do that, you lose. So I think they already have a ton of benefit for winning their respective divisions and getting a top two seed. I would also add this. If you wanted to add one more um, piece of icing on the cake, I would say you reseed after the wild card round. I, I agree with that because otherwise, what outside of the first round matchup, what are you really? This wouldn't have helped the Dodgers, though. It would have made them even more likely to be uh, yeah. I think it would have helped the Braves, NLDS. though. I think I the Braves could have beaten the Diamondbacks. But I will say this, too, because of all the talk of, oh, is there much of an advantage? Guys, the whole... One concern that the Cardinals had, and I don't know if it was a major factor last year, but some people will point to it, 
Ryan Helsley would be completely healthy going into a DS series last year. Coming off of the finger injury when he slipped on the mound in Pittsburgh, jammed that, whatever it was, the thumb or the pointer finger. I mean, five days off would have been huge for him. I don't know how much of a factor that truly ended up being in that series, sure. but he would have been completely healed for sure on five days rest, getting ready for a divisional series. So I think it is a huge advantage. Now, I do think teams like the Astros clearly have found something that helps them get through this because I think part of the struggles for the Braves outside of that the pitching was dominant was five days off is a lot of time off for the bats to keep the timing going. But I think that's Well, then figure out how to keep your timing it, up. Exactly. I think that is where you've got to do live BPs, which I think the Atlanta Astros did, by the way. The Astros do okay. I, hey, man, I'm siding with you. You don't got to keep... I know. I'm just sick of hearing these I'm people tired bitch of the ad, about it. I, Well, I'm tired of the ad, too. I'm about to flip sides, okay? I'm tired of it, you know? It's the mustache. He thinks he's got I, I more know, power. I know. Mario over here. Don't How let about it... power? It's just, like, people oh. complaining about everything, man, as if this is something that's new. Man, every year you see one of these teams advance, and this year the difference is you've seen multiple, but the Phillies are really good. The Astros are really good. Like, this... The idea that these people weren't, or these teams weren't deserving of getting to the NLCS or the ALC. The Texas Rangers were built for this kind of a run. It shouldn't be shocking to everybody, and it, it seems like it is. I think the only team that's really surprising is the Dodgers, and it's because the Diamondbacks were the ones that did it. But if the Dodgers lost to the Phillies, nobody would be surprised by that. The Dodgers failed, and that's on them. They'd probably do better that. if they played Country Roads in the seventh inning. Coming up next... <laughs> 3143999646 is the Air Comfort Service X line if you guys want to get involved in the show. You guys can also also watch us on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. Our YouTube cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. Alex saw the changes that the Blues have been discussing all offseason long with his opinion of last night's game. What did he see specifically? How will that play into the upcoming games? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, I thought that, um, you know, they got shots. They're going to get shots. But, uh, you know, I thought for the most part we did a good job of keeping it on the outside and protecting that slot area and, you know, getting in there on rebounds and things like that and not letting second and third opportunities happen. That was Craig Berube last night talking about what he saw from the defensive performance by the Blues and their 2-1 to one shootout loss against the Stars. Didn't get the one point on the road. Can't ask for a whole lot more than that, honestly, in a game like that against a legit contender. Alex, we wanted to see certain things in the first opportunity um, for us to really find out, okay, what is this new scheme? What is this new defense for the Blues, not in the NHL? And we talked about this yesterday with Jeff Merrick. They're not exactly reinventing the wheel yeah. here. There's like two options. It's kind of like basketball, right? Man and zone. Do you play man? Do you play zone? Which one do you prefer? Right. Well, the Blues decided to go with more of a zone defense this year after playing more of a man style the last couple of seasons. Here's what Jordan Bennington had to say from his perspective of this defense. Yeah, I think we're we're uh, more aggressive and uh, you know we're we're focusing on our job and, and being there for our teammates uh, as well so um, you know I'm I think we're in a good spot uh, being more aggressive and what he means by there is being there for your teammates is covering for each other and watching that play last night and again I'm not going to get in front of my skis in this and act like the defense is going to be one of the best in the NHL uh, frankly I understand that the first game of the season means nothing and I'm not going to really judge what we're seeing until we get to November but what we saw last night at least from my perspective was the zone when they were 
when they were committed to it and didn't get away from what they were doing, it was working. I mean, in the first period, I thought it was spot on. Uh, the natural stat trick in that first period said that they had zero high-danger scoring chances. All Dallas was doing was taking shots from the outside. The Blues were swallowing them up, and they were moving up the ice. There really was no sustained offensive zone time. And Dallas tried the backdoor tap-ins a couple of times. They went those cross-crease passes, and it was broken up with the player that was standing in the zone. That was accomplished. Second period, they played more in the offensive zone. Third period, they got away from it. Third period, it looked exactly what it looked like last season. But third period, it really felt like that Blues team was trying to not make a mistake. And when you try to not make mistakes, what do you do? You turn the puck over, and the other team's just pushing and pushing and pushing. But first period in itself... They kept it to the outside. They kept the zones exactly where they were saying it was supposed to be the centerman covered for the guy that went after the puck. They put two guys in deep for it to see if they could retrieve it. And when they didn't, they went back to their zone. And the part where it felt like it's like, okay, zone at least is working, was when that goal went in in the second period. If you go back and watch it, the puck goes in the zone. Marco Scandella, because it's coming back off of a rush, Scandella goes after the puck. So he goes into the corner for Jamie Benn. The problem was zone wasn't set up. The centerman wasn't back yet. So centerman's not back. Scandella's going. That crease right in front of the Do area. Do you remember who that centerman was on that? Uh, I don't. His I fault, don't. But. I think it was the Shen line because yeah. that was the line that had the minus in it. But they weren't back in time, and so the puck was pushed up to Jamie Benn, and he was all alone. So that right there was man without the zone coverage. So I just – it's progress considering what it was last year. And if you look at the heat map, man, they kept it to the outside a majority of that game. Did they? I thought it was mostly on the inside. No, I mean, I, it, it's a little red. But, I mean, compared to what last season was, you guys remember it. Like yeah. this whole area, they really did keep them at least at even strength in that first and second period to the outside. The third period is where it got away from them. I thought it looked better. I'm not going to lie. I, I thought it looked better. I didn't think it looked as different as I was really hoping. Like, I think it looked really good for the Pareko pairing. I think the third pairing was perfectly fine. I, I frankly didn't really notice him all that much, and that's time. exactly what I want that to be. I did not think it was a particularly good night for Falk and Krug. I thought early on in the first period, uh, Krug broke up a couple of plays by the net that I was like, okay. That's what he was talking about, where he feels more comfortable in this. And then as time passed, it just kind of looked like the same defensive pairing as last year. And, they, man, the, the underlying numbers for that duo was really, really bad last night. I, and that's kind of it. Like that, that was my ultimate takeaways from it. I, I, I hope that it continues to look more like it did last night for Pareko and whoever is with him, whether it's Letty or um, Tyler Tucker. They moved those guys around a little bit last night. That's my that's my hope. And I hope that Krug and Falk are able to take a significant step with this pairing. But if you can just get one of those man up to a like above average level, that is already a massive improvement from where you were at a year ago where both of your top two pairings were just a complete sieve. Yeah, it's it's really surprising. I just pulled this up on hockey reference. It says for Krug and Falk, they started seventy five percent of the defensive zone, and that's an all scenario. So penalty kill wise, you know, Falk's starting in there a little bit more. Krug, if the power plays face off in that zone, you're doing that, but um, the goal, at least it seems, of what they're wanting to accomplish is defensive zone, it's Pareko and Letty. Offensive zone, it's Krug and Falk. That's, that's, 
the Krug and Falk line, we're not looking at them as they're going to be anything like a shutdown pair. That's the pair that's going to go out there and try and get offense going. The problem for that pair last night that I did see, and I know what you're talking about because they had their moments, was they were they were way too passive in their own zone to try and get the puck out. Yeah. And if you're going zone, as soon as that's on your stick, they want you to go north with it. It's the rush up the ice. You're trying to catch teams off kilter when they get the puck turned over. And it just felt like there were too many passes to try and get out of the zone, which was a little bit of what last year was. So I I hope it was a learning experience. But honestly, the part that was optimistic for me was what you said, Pareko and Letty. That line was or that pair was was not good last year. And it felt like we were trying to jam a a round peg into a square hole of like, yeah, like this is going to work. This is going to work. Especially Letty, man. Letty. I, they were fluid, man. They were just quick to exit out of the zone, and that's yeah. the zone. I, I didn't know, and this is just my personal opinion. I didn't notice Letty as much, which is probably a good thing. I noticed Preco. I, I noticed Preco for sure, breaking up plays with his stick, and not not just getting the puck out of the zone, using his feet to get Skating the puck out of the it, yeah. zone. And, and that was the big thing for Preco last year. At times, it was like, dude, just just use your skating ability and get out of the zone, get that puck moving. And that was the biggest thing for me was he was active last night. And it almost looked like he was playing with confidence. And that was the most important yeah. part for me was I agree with you, that pairing, and I agree with BK assessment. I thought the defense looked kind of better, but it wasn't overwhelming for me. Yeah. I mean, Falk had six shots on goal last night, which tells you he's trying to get offense going, which I understand here. Here's the part that I always kind of go back to when it comes to what they're trying to accomplish. And what they're trying to accomplish is limit the high-danger scoring chances. I've, I've asked Barubi in the past, like, what do you guys deem – a good defensive game. And he said less than 12 high-danger scoring chances is a good defensive game through Craig Berube's eyes. And they had 11 of them last night at even strength. There were more on the power play, but they go off of even strength numbers, obviously. So uh, that, to me, is progress. Because, guys, last year, there would be 11 in the second period. Like, there would be 11 high-danger scoring chances in one period against the Blues. It wasn't a Picasso. It wasn't to sit here and say, like, it is a new defense that's going to shut down Connor McDavid when they play against him. But I saw signs of progress compared to what last year was. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Braden Kylie. Alex, back on the game for tomorrow night, right? Blues right. back in action here in St. Louis this time around against the Seattle Kraken. We'll get into a little bit of what we're expecting in that one coming up at 1 o'clock. Mike McKenna joins the show at 1230 to discuss what he saw last night from both the defensive scheme and Jordan Bennington. That is at 1230. But coming up next, an interesting report from Martin Kilcoin of Fox 2 about the possibility of Yadier Molina returning to the Cardinals, this time as a coach. Is that a legitimate possibility? We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Alex, I'm going to guess we'll get a decent amount of reaction on this segment. I'm actually surprised that we didn't hear more of this earlier in the morning. I had not seen this until 15 minutes ago. Fox 2 had a report from Mark Martin Kilcoin last night. Credit to him for this scoop about a potential new addition to the Cardinals staff this offseason. Brings me back to Molina. The Cardinals need to beef up their staff, add someone who Ollie respects and would listen to, someone the players respect and would listen to. I think Molina checks that box. Enough so, I'm told, 
there's mutual interest. Keep in mind, this wouldn't just be a publicity stunt or a way to excite a frustrated fan base. Molina has managed at the international level, and it's believed he wants to manage in the big leagues. This would be a step in that direction. Now, at this point, I don't think the Cardinals have made an offer, and it's not clear if Molina would accept. But the idea of Yachty back to the Cardinals is on the table. And after their disastrous season, everything should be on the table. That audio is courtesy of Fox 2, as you heard there. That's Martin Kilcoin with the report on the potential return of Yadier Molina. Now, we know they're not expected to make big changes on the staff. The pitching coach expected to return. The hitting coach expected to return. We think most of the people that were on the staff a year ago will continue to be in place this upcoming season. This is pure speculation by me. I want to say that on the front end. However, we know the plan going into the spring training last year was to hire Matt Holliday as the bench coach. Last minute, that obviously didn't take place. Matt Holliday had his reasons for that. I think he was justified in doing so. And so they decided at the last moment, right before they ended up getting to the winter warm-up, hey, Joe McEwing is an experienced, talented, totally uh, qualified bench coach. Let's bring him in to serve in that capacity for the upcoming season. My guess is if you're making a pitch to Yadier Molina, you're not doing so for some catching coordinator role. This is not like a roaming coordinator thing where he's going to go work with catchers throughout the system. My guess would be this is to him, for him to be your bench coach for the upcoming season. Now, this is my first big take on the potential of that. Man, this takes some big cojones if you're Ollie Marmel. This would tell you he is only interested in surrounding himself with the best talent possible around him. And I'm not saying this to cape for the guy or anything like that. But, man, you know what's coming. The moment Ollie allows or puts Yadier Molina on his staff, you know what our text line's going to look like if anything goes wrong? Fire him! Make Ollie the man or Yadier the manager! And that will happen after every game. Why it didn't happen this year as often is because Yadi just simply wasn't here. We were getting that when Yadi was the catcher. Well, we got that with, we got that with Skip, Skip, and that's go. what I was saying. I mean, the, technically, it was kind of big cojones to do that with Skip, Absolutely. too, because you brought in a dude who was going to be a manager elsewhere, and you also put a guy on the staff that was a Cardinals fan that basically, if it went bad for you, it was, oh, you should have hired Skip. We're saying it now to Cardinals fans are. But Yadi or Molina is on a completely different level. We've got some issues technically going right now. I hope we are going over we got here. the echo, so there's um, nothing better. Just as a heads-up, Grant, I can hear everything that I'm saying coming right back into my ear. Um, Yadier Molina is a completely different level of fan favorite compared to what we saw with Skip Schumacher, man. This is one of the best players in the history of the organization. It's a legacy guy, and if he is on that bench as a bench coach, he's immediately going to be seen as the potential successor to Aldi Marmel by a decent size of our listening audience right now. So I think it would be a smart move because he is clearly a baseball savant. He helps your coaching staff. But, man, it is an aggressive one if you're Ollie Marmol. If you're Ollie Marmol, like, look, the main focus of your job is to make this team a playoff, a World Series contender. And to do that, you've got to make sure that you're getting the best out of your players and put the best of your coaching staff together. So – in that sense, 
you have the ability to bring in somebody like Yadier Molina. That's what he tried to do with Matt Holiday. He tried to bring in somebody who is as close to the current game as possible that could help the players understand what they're trying to focus on. And it didn't work. You brought in somebody who's been around baseball, and it just didn't work out. And I'm not blaming the whole season on Joe McEwing. There were a lot of things that went wrong. But you're making your team the best if you bring in Yadier Molina. Why? Because you know he's going to work with Wilson Contreras. That's probably main focus number one of why you're bringing him in here. But number two, you know that he will have the ear of everybody in that clubhouse. He will be able to speak to the younger players because he's got that rapport. He's able to relay the messaging to Nolan Arenado and everything like that. I don't. If I'm Ali, I don't care about what happens in the outside noise because if I get fired and Yachty gets my job, so be it. My job is to get this team to the postseason, and Yachty helps me do that. Just as a heads-up, Grant, we also have the echo in our ear once again. T-Bone, what's your thought on this? Yeah, I I find it interesting because I my first thought was not bench coach. My first thought was bring him in as a coaching or a catcher coach, excuse me, because he is close with Contreras, and he's a guy that you would want Contreras to work with, work on framing, work on blocking. Honestly, you'd want that with even Herrera and Kisner, who worked behind him uh, in recent years. But if you do bring him in as bench coach – I could understand that, too, because you get the former player experience. And to Alex's point, it's a guy that just left the league two years ago. So it makes all the sense in the world to bring in a guy that has experience that can kind of help communicate what Ali Marmola is saying and get that to the players. That's why they wanted Holiday. That's why they brought in Skip Schumacher. Um, so I I think it's a move that Ollie clearly shows as I know the scrutiny will be, like you said, the moment they do that is the moment that they're going to look to, hey, fan base is going to come on the side of Yadier Molina and say, whoa, whoa, that's the guy that should be manager. Ali Marmol never played in the big leagues. Ali doesn't care about that, though. Ali wants to do what is best for the team. And if he feels that Yadier Molina is best for the team as whether it's a catching coordinator or as a bench coach, he's going to do it no matter what, even if it does put his head kind of on the um, the stake for fans to have somebody else there. I, I no matter who you bring in as the bench coach, because it seems like you're going to be bringing somebody in as a bench coach. So let's say in this world, it's not Yadier or Molina, it's John Jay, or it's Daniel Descalzo. If there are hiccups for Ali Marmol again this season, people are going to be clamoring for him to get fired no matter what. So if I'm, I'm doing this But this the- is different. This puts you immediately, like, the moment that he hires Yadier Molina, you are, as a fan waiting for the day when Yadier Molina succeeds Ali Marmol as the manager of the St. Louis yep. Cardinals. Yep. It, it's just the truth. Like, if, if we're being totally honest about it, that is how fans will see it. They are saying they are hiring him now to eventually replace the guy but that if, currently has the job. But if my team is successful, then I have that to fall back on. If your team is successful, then you did what you needed to do as the manager. Yeah. And if and, I get fired, I get fired. There's nothing I can do about that. I, I agree, but this... This is the reason why I think it would be a both incredibly compelling hire and also a very risky one to make if you're Ali Marmol. And I would honestly earn a lot of I think he should earn a lot of respect within this fan base if he decides to go about it that way. You know, like imagine whatever it is that you do in your life, you hire somebody to be at the position directly reporting to you. The next guy that everybody thinks is going to be the greatest in whatever the field is that you do. You're hiring that guy to replace you. That's what you're doing. You're training them to replace you. You're trying to... And, by the way, they've done it all inside of that organization before. And everybody inside of that organization seems to love them in a way that they almost have never loved anybody else inside of that organization. Like, it is a 
really big cojones type of a move. You know I, what this screams? This screams the coaching waiting that the Blues did. That's exactly when what Ken Hitchcock, my When Ken Hitchcock was in that final year and they hired Mike Yo and labeled him as the coach in waiting, everybody knew that disaster was about to take place. And somebody say, uh, some, a couple of people in the text line are saying, you guys are making more out of this than what it should be. How do you know it's just not a catching consultant? Uh, we don't. Y- y- Yachty, but Yachty's the, not going to be a catching consultant. Yachty or Molina is highly he, – he's a highly proudful individual, prideful individual. You think he's just going to take a job as a hitting instructor? And he said he wants to be a manager. If you want to be a manager, it's going to take a little bit more than you now, just being I, a You just offered consultant. a job last offseason to Matt Holliday, who previously was a star within your organization. That job was not as a hitting instructor. That job was to be the bench coach. If I'm Yadier Molina, you're not hiring me for anything less than the bench coach opportunity. Now, if you want to do like a part-time gig the way that they've had in the past where Chris Carpenter kind of comes around helping out with some of the pitchers or you see um, a guy like Izzy that comes around and kind of floats throughout the minor league instruction for, you know, a week at a time here or there. Sure, yeah, maybe they could hire him to do that. Uh, That, to me at least, based on the report that we're hearing, that is not what this screams. This screams they are talking to Yachty and they are interested in Yachty potentially joining the major league staff. And if he's going to join the major league staff, in my opinion, again, this is purely opinion, not reporting. My opinion would be the only job that he would be willing to accept within this organization right now at the big league level would be as the bench coach. Well, and someone is also texting and saying, how do you know this is Ollie making the hire? This would be Mo. No, this is Ollie because it's on Ollie's staff. Like, obviously, Mo's a part of the decision, but it's going to be, Ollie, do you feel comfortable with this? And if I'm Ollie Marmol, again, from his perspective, I, I can't worry about what's going to happen. All I can, Because if I don't make the playoffs, I might be fired regardless. I've got to make this team as good as possible, and Yachty does that. And if you hire Yadier Molina as the bench coach, you may not even need a catching instructor either. Because yeah, it's he's the same work. thing. It's basically killing two birds with and one stone. That's what stone. they were doing last year with Holiday, is they were going to exactly. hire him to be the bench coach, and he was going to help with the hitting side of things. Exactly. And I think that is the biggest thing here, too. It, because if, it, if Yadier, if say this is the bench coach that we're talking about, and again, we're just speculating. We don't know for sure. If it is that it's, hey, I'll take the bench coach role, then the conversation is, okay, but you're going to have to work with Contreras too because if you don't take the bench coach role, we got to have, whether it be bring back McEwing or hire a new bench coach, and we've got to also bring in a catching coach that's going to work with Wilson Contreras. From the 3-1-4, maybe Ollie Marmol just actually cares about winning in a way that matters, and he doesn't care if his job is at risk by making this hire. That is the takeaway from yeah. a hire like this. And I, for, for me, if I'm a Cardinals fan and they make this hire, and again – We'll see. Uh, this report basically says, hey, they're talking. And we who knows where this ends up. If the Cardinals end up hiring Yadier Molina this offseason to be their bench coach for Ollie Marmol, I think fans should gain a greater appreciation based upon that hire. I will, at least, based upon that hire, that this man is willing to do whatever it takes, regardless of how it looks within the fan base, to put together a coaching staff that helps the team win in 2024 and beyond. It's to me, I think that's highly encouraging for 2024 and beyond that. First, he was willing to bring in Skip Schumacher. Bold strategy. Last offseason, willing to bring in franchise icon Matt Holliday. Bold strategy. Ollie Marmel wants guys that are next to him that are eventual managers. That is something that I would also want next to me. But it is also a risky proposition when your job is almost a 100% fireable position. Everybody that has that position eventually is fired. And the dude next to you is probably going to be a replacement.
if and when that happens. So uh, it takes some big time cojones. It is quite the interesting decision if you're Ollie Marmol. Um, I, I really like it. I, I I'm I hope that they end up going down this route, honestly, because if nothing else, it would make for a an interesting um, topic of discussion. At what point in the year. season does he go back to Puerto Rico for his basketball team? <laughs> That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed the uh, the genesis of that conversation, by the way, it was a conversation that was started last night by Fox 2. I want to give the credit where it is due. Martin Kilcoin had the report that the Cardinals and Yadier Molina are at least in the discussion phase of him potentially returning to the Cardinals in some kind of capacity. We don't know specifics on it yet, but we will certainly be paying attention and looking for more as things progress. Coming up next, Mike McKenna is a former NHL goalie. What did he see last night from Jordan Bennington that stood out to him? And as a goalie, what does this defensive scheme look like for you? How does it change your perspective on the game? We'll talk about it next with Mike McKenna here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, we're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center today where the Blues are hosting their morning skate. And right now we're happy to continue talking about the Blues coming off of last night's opener of the season. Mike McKenna is a former NHL goalie. He joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Hope you enjoyed your offseason, officially back to the grind of the NHL season. Let's start with the obvious. A good start last night from Jordan Bennington. What stood out to you from his first start of the season? Definitely a really strong game from Bennington, and it speaks for itself. Some of the saves that he made in overtime and early on were pretty obvious. I mean, you think about the two-on-one rush in overtime where he makes the save on Robertson, sliding across, getting his glove on it, his tracking was on. But I, I did notice a couple of things, even stylistically with Bennington, that Guys, I thought he played a little bit closer to home last night. Like, I very rarely saw him outside of the blue paint, and I think that was a conscious decision going into this season. Um, And, and of course, that's also helped by that defensive structure that's a little bit different in front of him. You can be a little bit more patient when your team's going to pack the middle. Um, But I thought Bennington not only came up with some massive saves that I thought also his puck handling was spot on, and in your first game of the season as a goaltender, I can speak to that. It's it, it can be goofy out there sometimes, um, and I thought he looked right in sync with his with his defensive crew, and and that's something that when Joel Hofer hops in that, he's going to feel that too because he's a great puck handler. So, very encouraged in a lot of ways by Bennington's play and the team in front of him last night. Uh, Mike, you mentioned the new defensive scheme. From a goaltender's perspective, what's your role when you're playing this zone defense? You can't give up any rebounds you don't want to, and you get, can't get beat clean from the outside. That's really what it comes down to, because when you've got players packing the middle, you know that you may face more shots. That's a reality, and you may face more from the outside if you're playing against a team that's willing to take those shots. Now, that's not every club in the NHL, but last night I think you saw with Dallas that with the Blues being more middle-centric with their club, Dallas was willing to take some of those shots from the goal line. You know, they're trying to catch the goalie off guard, catch you off your angle, catch those little bit of holes. Um, And I thought Bennington did a good job, especially on his posts, adapting to that. And he was pretty tidy with his rebounds. The one thing that, you know, even the Blues, I would suspect, they didn't give up a ton of odd man rushes last night, but still a a couple too many for my own taste. So that's where Bennington, I thought, really shined last night. 
We're talking for another few minutes with Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Mike, I was curious, when you look at the, the personnel that the Blues have, do you think this zone style fits their defensive core better than what they were doing last year? Well, watching Colton Pareko and Nick Letty last night, it sure looked like it to me. Um, they, they were very rarely beaten. I mean, there was one instance, I think, early on in the game where Pareko stepped up and it led to Pavelski getting a shot down the wing that uh, went through Bennington, had to be cleared out by Brandon Saad. It felt like to me that was a little bit of a leftover from last season where you know you want Pareko to, to step back and, and accept that rush coming to him. But Letty and Pareko were really strong. Um, I do think that this bodes well for, for Tory Krug. Now, Krug, I don't think Krug had his best game last night, um, but he's played this system the majority of his career when he was in Boston, when he was there under Bruce Cassidy, who's now the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights who won a Stanley Cup playing this style. And and side note, guys, it's funny. The team wins the Stanley Cup. The Vegas Golden Knights, they play a 1-2-2 neutral zone forecheck, and they play zone defense. Well, half the NHL has gone to that this year. It's not a surprise. The Blues are doing it, too, because it wins. But I think that this is a good step for Krug. Now, Falk, it might be a little bit harder for him to adjust because he hasn't done a lot of it during his career. So he's going to have to lean heavily on his teammates, his, his defensive partners that have played it before, Krug, Letty with the Islanders. I think it'll come quick. I think it does work better for this crew on the back end. I think it works better for the team across the board because it's, it's not an elite skating team with the Blues. They're not slow, but they're not an elite skating team. If you're going to play man-to-man, you better be an elite skating team. How does it benefit a team offensively, though, Mike, if you're playing this zone? Because I read in Matt DeFrank's piece that Nick Letty talked about, it's an opportunity to catch teams with rushes up the ice if you get it correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, and you saw some of that from Dallas last night, who can feed off of off of rush chances, is that when you stay in the middle, you tend to have a lot of shots come through that get blocked, and you can turn them the other direction. Um, so that's one aspect to it of, those shots come through, they're blocked, you go the other way. And you always have two players high in the zone as well, and your third is helping out with a centerman that can join in as well. So um, I, I think that if you're going to play that tight in your own defensive zone, you've got to be able to jump quickly, and it's really on the forwards. It's not a strict zone where you've got four quarter quadrants of the ice and you stay in there no matter what. Your forwards have a little bit more leeway to be aggressive, to trigger on pucks. And when you create those turnovers, man, you got to go the other direction. Um, and, and I think that's a work in progress for the Blues because as the game wore on last night, I do think that the, that the Stars were able to put a little bit more pressure than the Blues would have liked. They've got to get their feet going and adapt to that system that once they trigger on pucks and create turnovers, you got to take that the other way and you got to activate your D to get it going along with it. Mike, I'm trying to learn from my mistakes from a year ago. The Blues started 3-0, and I was like, ah, here we go. All right, this is going to be the year. We're going back to the Cup. This is going to be great. And so I'm trying Same. to be a little bit more reserved in my judgments coming off of the <laughs> early portion of this season. I do love the way that the schedule sets up for them, though, because I think that it allows for us to, to learn a lot about them over the next six games. Before the end of the month, they'll play Seattle, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Vancouver. Those are a lot of teams that are kind of in a similar position, at least in my opinion right now, to where the Blues are at. What do you want to learn about this team before we get to the month of October? What are the things that you're going to be trying to identify? Well, you know, I want to see how the back end shores up. I want to see if Tyler Tucker stays in the lineup, if they rotate through, if Portuzo's drawing in, if if they if Barube decides to go nuclear and put Perunovic in at some point just to get a boost on the power play, if that could happen. So I'm kind of curious about that bottom pairing on the D and how they adapt to the new system as well. 
Um, I thought Tucker was pretty good last. I like his physicality. Obviously, he scored, um, and he's a little bit lost on Ben's goal that he scored that was scored for the Stars. But I think Tucker's got an edge to his game. He skates a little better than than it looks at first glance. So I liked his. Um, but for me, it's what happens with the depth of the Blues. I, I think you can expect the top line to eventually find their scoring. Buchnevich, Tomic, Kairou, it's going to come. And I tell you, there's still moments, though, where you see it with Kairou, straight-legging it through the neutral zone, man. That can't happen. He has got to skate. He's going to have to be better defensively, but it's the depth of this team. You know, what does Kevin Hayes look like in 15, 20 games? Is Sammy Blay going to be his his wingman for that? Does he bump up to second-line center and, and eventually maybe Shen goes off to the wing? I think there's still a lot of there's a lot of interest into what this lineup can look like and it's versatile, but ultimately for the blues, I think that third line is really going to be what's going to drive things for them. If they can get scoring out of the third line, um, that's going to bode well. Cause you saw Sunquist last night. He's out for every important face off. They know that they're going to get good, um, good defensive play from the fourth line with some stuff chipping in. It's that depth. Where does the depth come from? Will it be able to grow throughout the season? Mike, final one for me, and we always appreciate the time, my man. But on the offensive side, you know, we, we pumped the tires a lot of certain guys on this team, feeling like the offense could be a highlight of this team this season. Obviously, you only get one goal last night against the Dallas Stars. Doesn't back up what we've been saying. But when does that offense as a team, do you feel like, start to click after going through a long preseason where you're really not out there with your entire roster? I think that's going to be the story of the year. And I can't predict whether, and that's no pun intended on the famous St. Louis punk, you know, emo punk band story of the year. It just kind of came to my head. I had Page Avenue going through my head like it was 2002 here. But, uh, no, I, I really, I'm curious about that because are there game breakers on the St. Louis Blues in the lineup? Who is it going to be? Is Thomas a game breaker? Is Cairo a game breaker? Is this completely by committee this year? I think that's going to be the big storyline. I think the Blues will defend better. I like what Mike Weber's done so far on the kill as well for this team. My question is, can they bring it? Can they find additional scoring if Vrana heats up? Is he going to be somebody who can join in? Can Sammy Blay recapture what he did at the end of last season? So for me, it's a question mark. I think goal scoring is going to be at a premium this year for the St. Louis Blues. We may look at this team in retrospect, much like people have looked at the New York Islanders over the past several years under Barry Trotz, then under Lane Lambert as well. They play good defense, which would be great for a Blues fan. We haven't seen good defense in a couple of years, but can they score? It's melding that. It's finding that unmined gold. That might have to be Verona. That might have to be Kapanen. Maybe Kevin Hayes heats up. It's got to be one of them to be addition into Kyrou and Thomas. He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. Go ahead and give him a follow on Twitter, at MikeMcKenna56. Mike, it was great to catch up again, man. Appreciate the time, as always. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk with you again soon. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. I'll be out of all the rinks to this weekend. Kirkwood Hockey, woo! Time to go here. Squirts and Mike. <laughs> love it, guys. It's Thanks for having season. me. Thanks, Mike. You love to see it. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. That last thing that he said there is really interesting, Alex, and it got me to thinking. I actually think if the Blues end up kind of feeling like the Islanders, it's a good thing long term. Oh, my term. God, yeah. Are you kidding me? And here's why I'm saying that. Man, you could fix these forward lines. You got some flexibility in the offseason. You've got some stuff in your minor league and prospect pool that could be beneficial for you. You could have some game breakers in Bull Duke, Dvorsky, and Snuggerud moving forward. You can go pay for a forward. I mean, maybe you decide, you know what, William Nylander, we've got money. We got money available going into next offseason that could potentially be coming off of our books. All right, let's 
Let's go ahead and explore that option for us. You can add depth of scoring because there's roster spots available there and there's money available there. And to your point, Alex, it's a really good one. They've got development that's mm-hmm. there as well. The problem has been, in terms of like retool versus rebuild, the question that you've been asking a lot lately, T-Bone, the problem is if you get stuck defensively and you can't have any of this goal suppression that we've been talking about, and it just looks like more of the same, where the, the offense is like average and the defense is bottom 10 in the league, that's where you're screwed. Yeah. Because you can't move off of a lot of these contracts. They're long-term, they've got no trade clauses, and your roster spots are stuck. If you end up getting to the end of the year and you say to yourself, man, we've got three like really nice players that we like at the top, but then other than that, we just got a lot of guys in the middle of our lineup right now. Again, ideally, this team is just really great, but... If you fall short of those expectations and you're an average team, I would rather be average average for this roster with great goal suppression and a lack of depth of scoring at the end of the year than vice versa. And the, and the interesting and intriguing part is what does the scheme look like three months into the season? Because Mike is absolutely correct. We talk about it all the time. The NHL is the ultimate copycat league. The team that wins the Stanley Cup, everyone's like, all right, well, how do we do what they do? We talked about this earlier this week, T-Bone, where Ray Ferraro said, well, you got to be big on defense if you're going to be good. No, that's not true. You just need to be good offensively. But they're going zone like a lot of people are going zone because Vegas just showed it works to win a cup. What do teams do to adjust to that zone? Because December and January... Is zone still working? Are you blocking the shots? Are you boxing guys out? Is Pennington not giving up the juicy rebounds? If they adjust and you don't adjust, now we're back to square one. But look, if defense gets to what one of my bold predictions were yesterday of being a top 10 team in terms of goal suppression, that's a dream come true for Doug Armstrong. And to that point, if that does end up happening for the St. Louis Blues, not only do you not feel potentially stuck, which you just mentioned, BK, it opens up so many different avenues. Because if you're just averaging goal or in goal scoring, but your defense was good in goal suppression, you can go to free agency. Maybe you do have the young prospects that come up. And honestly, if you think maybe we can even be better defensively, it opens up the avenue of, hey, maybe Krug just became more appealing, or maybe Aletti just became more appealing, rather than this offseason where it was potentially, you know, they tried to move Krug, Krug said no, but if it ended up being another bad year, we've talked about it, that's where you get stuck where everybody goes, I don't want to give him $6.5 million. I don't want to give Nick Letty $4 million because he's not living up to that contract. Yeah. They play well, it opens up so many different avenues for this team. And if your defense plays well, you lean into it and you say, you know what, this is great. Let's go get ourselves an actual like left-handed defenseman to play with Pareko, and then we just have more depth on our defense. Or, you know what's available every year at the deadline? A guy that can come in and score 10 goals for you. Yeah. Like just well, you just pure... saw it in Verona and Kapanen at the trade deadline this yeah. past year. And, and those were for free. Yeah. Like you gave up basically nothing for them. But if you want it like this year, Detroit Red Wings, not very good, let's say, right? Hey, if you need to go out there and get a guy that can score you 10 goals and help you out on David the power play. Yeah, David Perron. Like, come on down, Ooh. big guy. Guys like that He's are available every yeah. single year at yeah, the trade right. deadline. So you, you'll have those options that are available to you. It's just a matter of being able to stay in it long enough to get to that point. If they're yeah. a good goal suppression team, man, whew, it changes so much about both the present and the future flexibility for the Blues. All right, coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week.
With Alex and T-Bone on BK, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alex, have you ever thought about whether or not we're living a simulation? <laughs> like you sat back and thought to yourself, you know, well, what if none of this is real? What if none of it matters and we're all being like watched by somebody else and this is all just a simulation? No, but I watched Unsolved Mysteries last night of a dude who like was oh, reincarnated. I, I love that show. Robert Stack is the best host of any show ever made. I, so it bothers me because I need the closure. And at the oh, end, yeah. they say, if you have any information on well, this. Well, you got to watch more episodes. They have updates. They have updates. No, I, I want to know what happened. Did you not know Who when you watched? Who killed them, man? Did you not know when you watched the episode of Unsolved Mysteries that a lot of them were unsolved mysteries? I mean, it makes sense, but I just, you know. Yeah. But no, I've never, a bit more. never thought of a simulation, BK, because if someone else was watching me, man, I am not entertaining. Like, waste of your... There's got to be somebody better to watch than me if this is a simulation. So the reason why I ask... Agree. I'm the guy when you play the computer game Sims, you kind of build a little room around him and just leave him in there until he <laughs> dies off. He'll be fine. Like, this guy's fine. Just give him some food and let him just go to the bathroom in their room. I think I ever did that whenever I was playing Sims. Sim? No, I just... Really? You oh, never, the room. You never locked somebody. people in the room. I, I used to like to build cemeteries next to the house. Of course you did, buddy. You are a messed up am I, Guys, am I a psychopath? Yeah, in this simulation, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, now I am more entertaining. So there was a piece that was written yesterday. Um, according to a physicist at the University of Portsmouth in the United Kingdom, this, gen this gentleman proposed that a new law of physics could support the theory that everything we're seeing as a reality is in fact a complex virtual simulation that is running on a cosmic computer. In other words, have you ever seen The Matrix, T-Bone? No. We're all living in The Matrix, or the, some form, variation of The Matrix. If this was The Matrix, I would be much better at uh, running up and down walls and doing flips, but I am not. And now, this theory has obviously, as you know by the fact that we have seen a movie about it, no, Tanner has been it. around for years. I have thought about this way too much for way too many hours really? in my life. Yeah, like the idea of so man, like your kid's matters. not even real. Well, it was prior to me having a child. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really had a lot of free time to think about things yeah. in my own head they, since having a child. To be honest with you, but, hence my football picks. Yep. Uh, hence me not realizing that the Sunday game for the Ravens is yeah. in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But They're gonna I, have to update you guys in this simulation. You guys are starting to glitch, kind of like Jr. Peek behind the curtain. We just saw him walk by. He looked like he was glitching too. See, been there, done that. <laughs> well, maybe what maybe, is, what maybe, is happening? Maybe something's going wrong in my simulation. I, what is happening? I do wonder what that's like, man. If if all of this is just being controlled by some sicko out there and again if you're wasting your time watching me you need to get a better better hobby well, in your simulation you would think that it's like it's a computer simulation so it's not even just one individual they it's this computer simulation that's yeah, but it's a guy sitting in a room watching he's got all you not know necessarily. all the television not necessarily you've seen ai dude there's some weird stuff going on out there in this world right now and you got to get a better hobby you're like this physicist come on man there's something I else out there knew for you you were kind of a psychopath and this kind of reaffirms it you know hey man on a random Saturday night when you're home alone, Alex, the kiddos are, are with the grandparents. <laughs> the kiddos are with the grandparents, you okay, know? Okay, sure. Sit back, sit on the couch, take a gummy, <laughs> just think to yourself. 
Okay, now we are wondering why we're in simulation. What now, would life he be really like wasn't if this was sick. Simulation? He really wasn't sick. He was just down this deep hole of gummies and simulation on the week, and he's like, guys, I'm not going to make it in. This is all a simulation, and it's not real. Finally, Kara came into his dark bedroom. He's like, PK, Man. get up and wake up. No, but we're in a simulation. Bro. I just sounded like Keanu Reeves there. But just imagine. But it's a, but it's a simulation. It just really, it, it makes you wonder. No, it you doesn't. Know? It makes me <laughs> wonder who I've been working yeah, with for the last three years. makes me wonder what the hell kind of gummies you've been enjoying. Coming up in 10 minutes, what does tomorrow mean for Mizzou? I view it as a borderline must win. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. But can, coming up next, man, this top line really needs to get it going for the Blues against Seattle because they're going to have a short period of time before we have to determine, eh, do you break it up? I'm not there. I want to say that up front. I'm not there right now. But the six-game stretch is going to determine what the future holds for that line next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Thomas bringing it in, lost the puck to Harley. Suter goes to clear. Kairou, great play to hold it in. Thomas to the middle. Puts Navich to Kairou, and a save, Ottinger. Blues 0 for 3 on the power play. They get it to Kairou. Gets around Robinson. Backhands to Tucker. Wrist shot, got it on again. Rebound saved by Ottinger. Does he deny Robert Thomas? As Tucker got another shot through from the blue line. Thomas to Scandella. Back to Thomas. High slot to Kairou. Shoots it. Save made by Ottinger. Kairou steals it, tries to center, puts Navich, far wing, the center, and a shot from Thomas, misses wide at the buzzer oh. again. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK, that audio courtesy of the broadcast last night, right here on 101 ESP in your home of the St. Louis Blues. Alex, I wanted to focus a little bit on that top line, Thomas, Kairou, Buchnevich, so much about this season, so much about this retool is going to be determined by the ceiling of that group and whether or not they can stick together and really whether or not those three guys are going to be capable of becoming top-line caliber players, even if they're not on a line together. Last night, I think, was a lot of up and down. Uh, I think there were moments where it looked really good. Robert Thomas, I think, had some really good moments. Uh, missed the net too often for mm -hmm. my liking, but it was shooting, and that's really all you could ask for. Jordan Cairo, there was moments where I was like, all right, that's exactly the player that you want him to be. And then there was moments, as we heard from Mike McKenna, where straight leg in it a little bit. We have seen that already on our text line. People don't like that he's not physical, all of those different things. You're not expecting him to be that, but be involved. And Bucinavich, I thought, had a pretty good night on the PK. I, I didn't really notice him as much, honestly. Didn't have a shot on goal. At Only one on shot five. attempt. So that, that's something. It's one game. That happens. Um, but you'd rather see him a little bit maybe more involved with the offense. Overall, though, they were outshot 8-4 to four in that game. Um, while they were on the ice, the opposition had five or three high-danger chances. They had one high-danger chance. They did have four rush attempts. You like to see that. I just, if this line is going to be what we think it can be, they, they can't be getting outshot. They can't be getting outchanced. They need to be going out there and outchancing the opposition because 
we know that's potentially going to be a liability defensively. You got to make up for that with what you're doing on the offensive end. You know, T-Bone made the great comp that really could be of Jason Robertson and, and Jordan Cairo. The only way that happens after watching that Robertson line that did not have their top centerman with them is their line was puck possession and sustained zone time, and the Blues were one and done. And that's my biggest concern with that line. As much as I do believe that they have a really talented line, and as Jeff Merrick said, oh, 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 I like them, you can't, you can't skate into the zone, circle up, make a pass, take a shot, miss the net, and then you're back checking to get the puck back. It's got to be what Craig Bruby. Frankly, I think the best line at sustained offensive zone time is this Verona, Hayes, and Blay line. The problem is that line didn't shoot a lot. So, like, take what they do and put Thomas and Kyrou and Buchnevich in terms of shooting the puck, and you're going to get that. Now, last night, again, like, the chemistry is not easy with lines because – Frankly, these lines have played maybe two games together in preseason action, and you're not going up against best on best. So that's going to take some growth period here. But that line is going to benefit solely offensively from winning faceoffs. Thomas was 57% last night. I like to see that. They took, I think, a combined 17-shot attempts with eight of them hitting the net, hit the net a little bit more. But this can't be a one-and-done offense. If that line is going to be in the zone and out of the zone, you're not going to hit your your top level of expectations that the Blues want from them. Yeah, I had kind of the same takeaway from that line last night to where it felt it was too much one-and-done and not enough puck possession, which is something that... I think it's going to have to change as the season gets going along. I, I think they are more of a rush line. Like I, they are totally that. But you the would shin like to line see is your, that's your cycle. Yeah, that you cycle still, and defensive line. Yeah. That's your shutdown line. You would still like to see less of the one and done from them. And I also thought too at times with that line that it still felt like it was going more for flash than just doing the hard work. Because there were times where, like, um, I that one that overtime, or not the overtime, the last shot of the game, like it ended up to a really good opportunity, but instead of throwing it on net, they try another pass to the to the yep. middle of the ice. And then there was another one, too, I remember, where Thomas got it, he tried a long cross-ice pass to Kyra, who was kind of doing a big loop around on the ice there and trying to get him back door, but he tried to finesse it through, like, two defenders. Like, those are the kind of plays that this line needs to cut out of their game. They need to be more of just north-south hockey. Let's get it to the net. Let's get shots on goal, and then let's try and get that rebound opportunity or cycle the puck around. And to me, for, at least for my liking, I know it's probably old school, but I, I felt at times last night they were still too flashy for me. I think that's totally fair. I think that that's something that we're just going to have to live with, most likely, with that line. I agree. Um, there's there's going to be moments where you get frustrated by some of the the stick handling and all of these, the toe drags, all that stuff. And there's going to be moments where you're like, oh, my God, there are like 20 players in the league that could make that play. And the Blues have two of them on that top line. So that's that's just going to be something that comes with it. There's going to be frustrations and there's going to be highlight real plays with those guys being put paired together. The hope is that there's more of the highlight real plays than the frustrations and it, it outweighs that. When you look at what's coming up before the end of the month, Alex, I know – in so many ways, this is an obvious statement because what I'm about to say is, hey, we're going to learn a lot about the Blues in the next six games. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, man, the first seven games of the season are meaningful. Congratulations. Way to make a big, important point. I, I think... Did you just shoot down yourself? I, I just wanted to have <laughs> this that was your segment on. idea. <laughs> I think part of what makes these next six games so important is because of who they're against. It's a lot of teams that are kind of in that same category as you coming into the season. You're not going up. I, I think last night was a tough test, and it's why I'm Absolutely. grading them on a on a curve. 
hey, man, you lose 2-1, to one, shoot out plus overtime. You got a point in that one. That's not bad. Yeah. On the road against the Dallas Stars, who everybody is picking to be one of the top two teams in the, in the division, nice, good, good outcome. Yeah. We learned a little bit about you last night. But the teams that you're really competing against this year, Seattle, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Winnipeg, Calgary, Vancouver, that's that middle portion of the NHL this year that nobody really seems to have a great handle for. The Blues should be a part of that group. Now, where they are within that category will be defined by what they do against teams like this. And over the next six games, this is right up until the end of the month, basically, by Halloween, I think we're going to have a pretty good grasp on where this team stands within that category. And that will inform a lot of the discussion that we have about the team over the next four or five months. By that time last year, Alex, eight, nine games into the season, we had a pretty good feeling that things were not going in the right direction because that was the start of that seven-game losing streak that ended up ultimately dooming the season. Yeah, I mean, go back to what Doug Armstrong said before the season started. He said his goal is to to get third place in the Central Division and be in the upper tier of that middle tier of teams in the West. And the top tier is Colorado, Dallas, Vegas. I'd put Edmonton in there. Sure. That's the top tier in my opinion. And then the rest is the Minnesotas, the Winnipegs, the Calgarys, the LAs. And after watching what they did against Dallas last night, they absolutely can be in the top tier of that middle tier that Doug's speaking of. But you're about to find out because you're taking on all of those teams for the rest of the month. And like you go back to last season, Columbus, you win that game. Seattle, you win that game. Edmonton, but then you play Winnipeg, Edmonton, Nashville, Montreal, Kings, Islanders, Boston, Philadelphia. That was your seven-game losing streak. Those are all those middle-tier teams. You didn't take on a top dog, and you were giving up five, six goals. If you go into these games and you know your offense still scuffles, but you're still keeping them close, that's the sign of growth, in my opinion. And look, you want points right now because we talked about it. You lose in the first couple of weeks of the season, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball, especially in the Western Conference. But if you're showing the competitiveness that we saw from the first to the third period last night, this team's going to be in a good spot. This is where you can separate yourself from the murky middle early Absolutely. On, to where you can get a kind of a jump start. You're not going to be able to, like, within eight games go, hey, we got ourselves in the playoff picture already. No, but you can have that jump start that is needed early on. Because as much as last year early on, as you said, BK, we knew right away, hey, this season's not going to go great. You can know early on, hey, you got to fight and chat for the playoffs. You can determine a whole season within like the first 10 games, typically. And, and to be honest about the Blues, that seven game losing streak is what kept them out of the playoffs. If yeah. they had gone like three and four in that stretch, they would have been contending that's, for the postseason potentially. It, that's where I'm really curious to see do you follow up a loss with a win? Yep. Because if you follow up a loss with another loss with another loss, we're right and the back. the non-competitive loss. That yes. was the problem last year. Is that they the were six goals allowed. Right. And they, they, they can't allow that to happen. It's the old quote of you can't – you can't lose the div- or you can't win the division in the first month of the season, but you can absolutely lose it. The Cardinals did that this year. They lost the division by the end of the first month. The Padres did that this year. It was over. They had no chance of getting back into it. They tried. They battled up until the final week of the season to get back into the playoffs. Nobody told Josh Hader, but they tried. Um, and the Blues last year did the same thing. They, no. they they lost the division or any chance to be a part of that conversation by what they did in the first month. Hopefully this year they're able to avoid that. We'll see them back in action. Tomorrow night, Blues versus Seattle Kraken home opener. Alex has your pregame coverage tomorrow beginning at 6 o'clock. Puck drop for that one tomorrow at 7. Coming up next, speaking of tomorrow night, Missouri will be back in action against Kentucky on the road in Lexington. They have not won there in a decade. 
tomorrow's as close to a must-win game as you're going to have on this schedule, in my opinion. We'll explain why coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Our Missouri Tigers, Alex. Woohoo! M I C Z O U. Back in action tomorrow in Lexington, Kentucky, Kentucky. where they have not won. The Wildcats. <laughs> that was really good. Thanks, man. I'm, re- I'm pretty good at really Wildcats. Good. I don't know if we you were the it. Wildcats in high school. And, I was uh, too. It sounded just like that. <laughs> well, actually, grade school. I was a warrior in, in high school. Warrior, what was your high we school tigers. mascot? White squirrel. We're, we know everybody's that. Everybody's the Tigers. Yeah. What's yeah, a tiger? Including Missouri, by what's, the way. What's a tiger? Is, it? <laughs> is that more tigers? Yeah, it's, it just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> okay, we broke got our the, uh, the echoes back. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Great. Go. You broke our stream with that, <laughs> that sound. All right, enough of that. So tomorrow, Missouri, I've heard it three different times in seven different places in my head now because of this stupid echo. So the Tigers are on the road tomorrow in Kentucky. This has been a house of horrors. For Missouri over the last nine years, basically, Alex. It never goes well. There's always a horrendous call that somehow goes against Missouri. Uh, Blaming the refs. Offensive pass interference that doesn't get called. Um, A a blatant decision that ends up going against them. The ref holds the ball for like an extra 15 seconds instead of placing it down, and Missouri doesn't get an opportunity. You're playing a lot of the blame game right now, man. Yeah, Illinois, Illinois, we don't make these kind of excuses. Because you're not in games. Close at the end. Close at the end. it, It is... The wildest way to finish any of these games, it always happens in Missouri versus Kentucky. So I'm fully prepared to get kicked in the groin once again. That being said, guys, the other day I said the way that this Missouri season ends in success is nine victories. And the path to nine victories almost has to, in my opinion, include a win at Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Because you go down the stretch, you got to get four more the rest of the way to get there. I did the math, I think, correct there. If you end up losing against Kentucky, you have to beat South Carolina, you have to beat Florida, you have to beat Arkansas, and then you probably have to pull off an upset against either Georgia or Tennessee. Uh, That's not an easy path forward. Kentucky is the one that I think they can get. Kentucky's defense is very susceptible to the pass this season. It's really good against the run, but against the pass, they are not very good. Their passing game has really struggled so far to get their way off of the ground. Devin Leary was one of the top transfers in the portal. He has not been very good. His receivers have serious drop issues. Their freshman stud from a year ago has not advanced in the path that Luther Burden has. They were hoping he could be similar to Burden for the Kentucky offense. It's been tough. And last week, they got embarrassed against Georgia. Keep that team down, man. So far this year, they have really had one thing to celebrate, and it was their big-time win against Florida. They just ran the hell out of the football. If you're able to shut down that running game early and often, you get the lead going, and you force them to pass against you, I think Missouri can win this game, and I think they can win it by, like, 10 to 14 points, but it requires all of those elements to come true. This is as close to a must-win as Missouri has on its schedule. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt to me that the offense is going to be able to stay in this game. My question is going to be, how do you stop the run? Because that's what obliterated them, and really, I guess, the quarterback run as well. When he was out of the pocket this past week, yeah, that was Jaden Daniels more than anything else. Yeah, which you're not going up against really the rest of the season, which is a good thing for Mizzou. 
Is nine wins necessary, though? I think so. And I only ask this because it's been six wins with drink. And if you end with eight, does that at least give you the optimism now that the recruiting's working, we saw a shift in the way that he coaches, no. and now you're getting eight? No, so you just hate Mizzou's progress no matter what? No, because I think we have now seen that Kansas State is not quite the team that we expected them to be. Uh, they're, I think, an underdog going into this weekend against Oklahoma State. They're a good team, but they're not what they were last year. Um, and if you end up losing this game and you, let's say, get wins against South Carolina, Florida, and Arkansas, that'll be a very similar season to what we saw in 2018 uh, from Barry Odom. And we left the Barry Odom era saying he just never really punched up. He never really got those big-time wins against programs that were better than him. And if you leave the season with wins against South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, and Vandy in the SEC – Man, that's basically you saying, hey, the teams that were worse than us, we ended up beating. The teams that were better than us, we ended up losing to every single one of them. I don't think that inspires a whole lot of confidence going into next year. It's better. It's better than what it had been previously, but it's not good enough. So, yeah, I think you got to get to nine. I think you have to get to nine, and that would include at least a win at Kentucky or at Georgia at home against Tennessee. I think you've got to win one of those three games for the season to be considered a success. I, I would agree with you because I, I think eight wins is just a good year. You did what you're supposed to. You did what you're supposed to. You beat the better teams, but you never pulled off a surprise. And I think if you're going to view it as a successful year for Eli Drinkwitz and being able to get the offense that they have right now, then a, a successful year is you pull off an upset here. And I agree with you. Kansas State, it, like, don't get me wrong, that was a good one at the time. Absolutely. It's not looking like as impressive a win now as it did and when it happened. And they deserve credit for it. They, they yeah. pulled it off, and that was a program that beat the snot out of you last year. So you had to find a way to win that one. There were two games, I heard Tim say this earlier today, and I think he's 100% correct. Coming into the season, before we knew anything about any of these teams, including Missouri, we said the two games that will ultimately flip their season if it ends up going in a positive direction are Kansas State and Kentucky. We knew coming in, LSU was going to be tough. We, we kind of all counted that as a loss. We knew coming in, it was going to be really difficult to get a win at Georgia. Those were the two that you kind of put into the L category going into the season. You had probably five that you put into the win category coming into the season. And then everything else, the other five games on the schedule, were somewhere in the middle. And it depends on how Missouri plays and how those teams ended up. Well, Kentucky is on that list, maybe even at the top of that list. They have been a team that has really, I mean, found a way to be above you in the SEC over the last eight years now. You've got to find a way to reverse that trend. You've got to find a way to put yourself above Kentucky in the East standings, not just for right now, but for years to come. That is the way that you find a way to win back over this Missouri fan base. It's got to start with this thing, man. Last week took the wind out of a lot of fan sales. You, you can put it back in if you get a win against Kentucky on the road. All right, speaking of Kentucky, there was a caller that called into Mark Stoops' um, coach's show earlier this week, T-Bone. And the caller said, what do you think about the fact that you have only won two SEC games against teams that finished with a winning conference record since you arrived at Kentucky? So in 11 years... He has only won two games against teams that finished the year five and three or better in the SEC slate. This will two go games. Well. The reason why I ask or I bring that up is because if that was the future for Mizzou, now again Kentucky, pretty solid program overall, consistently seven eight wins every single season. If that's what the future looks like for Mizzou under Eli Drinkwitz or Illinois under Brett Bielema, head coach. Oh, sorry, yeah. How, 
how would you feel about that being what your program is? You don't really punch up. You don't beat Georgia, Tennessee. If you're um, Illinois, you're, you're not out there beating Ohio State, Penn State, or anything like that. But you're consistently getting to six, seven, eight wins every year. How do you feel about that? So I think for I, I think it's true for both programs because I I think if you start to do that, like when when that first starts to occur, like it could be the first year that could be this year for Missouri. I think fans for the first year maybe two look at that and go. Okay, now we're talking. Now we got a team that is building some success in conference play, a team that is at eight or nine wins each year. I think after two years, though, of that, every program expects to take that next step. Even if, like, you set the stand, like, if you're honest about an Illinois football program, you maybe make the when the playoff expands, you maybe make the playoff like once in a blue moon, like maybe once every 50 years. Um, but I think a lot of fan bases, though, like, when we talk about, like, trajectory of a program or we talk about trajectory of a player everybody always expects that continuous line that's going to go up and always see improvement so i think for the first two years i think an illinois fan base a mizzou fan base would go all right this is what i'm talking about eight wins nine wins drink has got the recruit machine going we're in this but then there's always going to get to that point where it is we got to take that next step and i don't know if they can take that next step and that's when people would be start to become critical of we're just winning eight games. We're just winning seven games. And that's what's going on at Kentucky right it's the now. Gary Pinkle effect. Yeah. Gary Pinkle had this exact same thing at Mizzou yeah. for 12 years. In his time at Missouri, there were a lot of fans and some media members that were critical of the fact that he couldn't get over the top. And that dude ended up going to, I believe it was four conference titles in the Big 12 and SEC combined in a 10 year stretch. And that was not good enough at Missouri. Like, for most fans, I think they appreciated it. I think there were some, though, that in the middle of it thought it was underwhelming. Now, to be fair, Kentucky hasn't necessarily done that. They haven't been getting to conference titles. But since 2016, they've won 7, 7, 10, 8, 10, 7, and now they're 5-1 and one this year. That's a pretty darn good track record right there for Mark Stoops. If it took place at Missouri, Mizzou fans would be disappointed. Yeah, it's got to be better than that at Mizzou. Not on a consistent basis. The consistency there is, I think, exactly what Mizzou fans are looking for. Your worst years are seven wins. Your best years, you're getting to ten or so. What Mizzou fans would like to see more of, though, is the ability to be, you know, in the best years, eleven and one, get to the SEC title game, ten and two, playing for a New Year's Six bowl. Those are the kinds of things that Missouri wants. I don't think the ceiling that we need from Mark Stoops is high enough that Missouri fans would be content with what they would be watching. I agree with that 100%. I, I, I think, I, well, I, <laughs> not sure what you wanted me to say. I, I agree. I, I think there is 100% truth to it, and I think the pressure will ramp up as the playoff expands too. Because Absolutely. as much as I, we talked about this probably a year ago when this was kind of announced. Big Ten next year, there are no divisions. SEC is going to move towards that, where there will be no divisions. Where it is going to be very tough to get to the conference turn, conference championship game if you're a program like Illinois. Illinois, the only reason they had hope of getting to the Big Ten championship game last year, the Big Ten West was a bunch of garbage cans floating but down okay, the road. Man. That's how it works. That's what I, you need. Like well, Missouri in 2013, right garbage cans floating down the road. Yeah. Missouri comes through punching down the door and they find a way into the title game you don't have to for you don't have to ask for forgiveness for how you got there just get there dude yeah. but, but if missouri ends up finding a way to backdoor their way into the sec title game this year because georgia their quarterback gets hurt brock bowers gets hurt and they end up losing two games yeah, that'll be celebrated hey man great great you should celebrate the hell out of it because accomplishments like that are hard to come by 
in today's version of college football. So, I hell, any version of college football. I, I just – sorry to cut you off there. Last year, if Illinois got there, we point. should all celebrate it. Um, and Mizzou doing that in the future, it, it, it's that's the type of thing you have to celebrate. I, I agree. I think it's going to be tougher on those kind of programs to get, like Mizzou and Illinois, to get to their conference championship game moving forward because there is no more, hey, you can go up against a weak division. You may get a weak schedule that helps you out. But typically, you're probably going to run into a Georgia or an Alabama every year now. Texas, Oklahoma, exactly. Or in your case, USC, UCLA. Exactly. But there, I think these programs like Kentucky that always sit around that consistent eight wins, there is going to be more pressure put on them. Why? Because the playoff expands, and there will be hope to get to the playoff. Coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line. That was a great uh, point by T Bone that I cut off midway through. Unbelievable. If you've got a, a one's got to go, you give us four different options. We'll tell you which one's got to go, and we'll get to that coming up next here on 101. Yes. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Some big time news in Major League Baseball. We'll get to one's got to go here in just a moment. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Multiple reports confirming Milwaukee Brewers pitcher Brandon Woodruff underwent surgery to repair his right shoulder. Woodruff is now, according to the team, expected to miss most, if not all, of the 2024 campaign. Now it is worth noting, next year is the final year of his contract. It is also the final year of arbitration for Corbin Burns. Alex, we were talking about this. We'll spend two minutes on it real quick off the air. If I'm in charge of the Brewers and I know how they operate, they have a budget and they stick to that budget. They're at $120 million already projected to be committed to their 2024 payroll. That's before they go out and add anything. That includes Burns and Woodruff currently. You obviously cannot trade Brandon Woodruff while he's having this for anything meaningful. I would assume they're probably going to do kind of a similar deal to what we saw the Tampa Bay Rays do with uh, Tyler Glass now, where you rehab for $5 bucks next year and then a $25 million option the year after that. If I'm them, I'm not saying I'm completely blowing it up. I don't think you're trading like Christian Yelich, right? I don't think you're trading uh, Devin Williams. They've got multiple years of control remaining. Guys that are entering the final year of their deal, though, and that includes Corbin Burns, I'm absolutely listening to offers on them going into next year to transition into whatever the future looks like for the Brewers for 2025 and beyond. Yeah, I'm starting to retool. Uh, I'm looking at what I got coming up through the pipeline. I'm looking at what I have in place. I mean, I need to make sure I lock up Craig Council first thing first. But, yeah, I mean, I'm trading Corbin Burns to get something that can benefit my team. Probably trying to move on from Brandon Woodruff, which is difficult now because he's injured. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm starting to retool. I can't sit there and 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 act like my team's going to be competitive for the next couple of years because I don't think you can be with the lack of offense you have and the one staple that has made you dominant isn't going to be available to you next season. Yeah, I'm fascinated with what they do because they still got really good pitching on the roster right now in Burns and Peralta. They could probably make a run at the NL Central title again question is is like what are what's their goal do they want to win a world series or do they just want to be happy with hey we get in anything can happen they've clearly learned they can't but they've got enough pitching and enough talent on the roster if they decide to run it back 
they could still be a threat in the NL Central, but they're a team, like you said, they're going to operate on a budget. They're going to operate operate kind of strategically, and I think they know a reset's coming. The problem is, is like, they reset, though. Council's not managing that team. Council, will leave. he's going to leave if you're going to go into another reset. And if you lose him, welcome to a rebuild. He might leave either way, though. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, That's 100% fair. I, I just, I'm not making decisions based on one year of keeping Craig Council. He, he might be gone out the door this offseason no matter what. I'm deciding what is best for the long-term health of my organization. And if I'm the Brewers, I think the long-term health of the organization is best served not by blowing it up. I want to make this clear. Don't tanker anything next year. You got some young talent, though, built around that core. See what you can get for some of these pieces. And if you get nothing in return, then keep them and trade them at the deadline. But uh, in the meantime, I, I would probably be listening to offers. All right, let's get to One's Gotta Go. One's Gotta Go Pro Sports Playoff Edition. Baseball, football, NBA, or NHL. Alex, One's Gotta Go. Which one would you get rid of in the playoffs? I'd get rid of NBA. Yeah. The only time I get excited for the NBA is the finals. All of the play-in games, the wild cards, the first couple of rounds, they're not good. Conference finals and NBA finals are exciting. All of the other ones I get excited from start to finish. Hockey's number one for me. I'd probably put football two, baseball three. But, yeah, football, uh, ba- uh, basketball's got to go. I'm with you. Basketball's got to go. One, the play-in term is just stupid. Um, two, two, the thing about basketball is – you're right. I think the conference finals and the finals are really the best basketball you see. We don't typically see a lot of upsets Never. when you yeah. think of the NBA in the playoffs. And that's because they're all seven-game series. Yeah. You'll end up yeah. typically getting the best Hockey seven-game series are great. Basketball, not so much. Yeah, Seven-game series can get a little long, especially early on in the postseason. I'm going with the NBA as well, despite the fact that I love the NBA playoffs. But, I mean, yeah. every playoff. Every playoff format is really good. It's just a matter of some which play- ones are the best. Some playoffs are good until you get to the conference finals. Some are great from the start, and that's where basketball falls. One's got to go sports bar food edition. Sliders, wings, pizza, or nachos? I'm getting rid of pizza. If I'm going to a sports bar, uh, sliders, wings, nachos, those would be my pre- uh, preferable choices. Now, I love pizza. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm going to a sports bar, that's not my top choice. I think I'm with them. I- I'm trying to think the last time I went to a sports bar and was like, man, the pizza here. It just hasn't happened. This is just always such a good complimentary piece to wings, in my opinion. Like, if I'm going to get wings, I love having me some pizza with it. So that's, that's why it's like nachos and sliders. And I feel like the nachos for me are the nachos for me are like the side chips with yeah. my wings and pizza. So I'd probably get rid of sliders because when I go burger, I go burger. That's fair. I, 100% that, was intelligent, that was an intelligent hey, he, breakdown I, by me. He almost changed my take. You're All welcome. Right, final one here, guys. One's got to go if you were a high school football recruit. Georgia, Oregon, Oklahoma, or excuse me, Oklahoma or Ohio State. Georgia, Oregon, Oklahoma or Ohio State. Okay, Ohio State's out. Really? Uh, I don't like the weather in Ohio. <laughs> that is fair. Yeah. I went to Columbus last so year. You it was said freezing Georgia, Oklahoma, and Oregon. Well, that would be your out. If, if Ohio State's out, they're out. Oh, okay, yeah. One's got, okay, I thought I had to pick one. Yeah, George, yeah. See Ohio State. Plus, I don't like Ryan Day. glitching a lot over there. Sorry. Uh, I would go Oklahoma, by the way. That would be the one that's, that's got to go for me. where I would go, too. I know it's cold in Ohio State, but I was kind of walking around. It's not rainy. to do in Norman. Yeah, exactly. You're, like, in the middle of nowhere. Oregon would be beautiful. I, I think I'd love Oregon. Georgia would be a ton of fun. I, I want to go to Athens and go catch a game. Um, and I think Ohio State, I was around that area last year when the Blues went to Columbus. That's kind of a cool area down by, in that area So where the stadium is. So, I would keep Ohio State, too. I think that, I mean, Ohio. in the history of it, like, it's just sorry, Georgia, Oregon, and Ohio State, for me, are on a different tier than Oklahoma. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show by taking a look ahead at this weekend's NFL matchups. What's the matchup you're most looking forward to see? What's the upset you're counting on going into the weekend? We'll get into that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN.
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. The Fast Lane's coming up at the top of the hour. They've got Craig Berube, head coach of the St. Louis Blues, joining them at 2.30. We have been broadcasting live all day today out of the E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center, but right now we're looking ahead to the weekend in the NFL slate. Alex, if you can sit down in front of the television on Sunday and you can only watch one game, what is the game that you're going to be having on? Uh, it's Bengals and Seahawks. I like that. I one. like the uh, trash talking going right now between Jamar Chase and DK Metcalf, the back and forth. That's going to be a fun game for me. And frankly, it's two teams that right now are secondary pieces in their conference or their division. And a game like that, the one that comes out, if it's Cincinnati, we might be talking about them a little differently. So I'm looking forward to that one. I'm going to go different from that one, Lions-Bucks. I'm fascinated. If Buccaneers win this, guys, we got to take them as not not a serious contender, but a serious team from the NFC South. Yep. Like I think they're the team to beat right now in that division. They beat Detroit at home. Hey, that changes everything for me. You guys are going to laugh at mine because it is not exactly like the most appealing matchup on paper. Bears-Vikings. No, it, that is a fun one, honestly. Uh, not going to be like... It doesn't matter for anything meaningful, but it's a fun matchup nonetheless. Good for fantasy football, if uh, if nothing else. Very true. I don't think the Eagles' offense has looked quite as crisp this year. It's been effective, and they're figuring out ways to win these games. The Jets' defense is a really good test, though. We saw this with the Chiefs on that Sunday night football game. They can put up a fight now, and you're starting to see a little bit of confidence, even if it's not spectacular, from Zach Wilson I'm not picking the Jets as an upset or anything, but I do think the Jets plus six is an interesting possibility going into the weekend. That shifted. It was plus seven earlier today. Yeah, I think there's going to be pretty big money that comes in on the Jets if I had to predict here. I I, want to watch that one. I want to sit down in front of the TV, 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon, see how the Eagles offense is able to perform against the Jets. That's one that I'm uh, very curious about. I like it. What is your upset pick going into the weekend? We have specific parameters for this. Got to be at least three points in terms of the spread. Otherwise, it's basically just pick them. Your upset pick going into the week, Alex, is who? So can I give you two of them? Sure. Uh, one is the Titans. Two is the Texans. And I don't know what the spread was at. Are they both less than three? No. Uh, I think the Texans is less than three. Yeah, yeah Texans is a two-point line. Oh, Titans okay. is so that down shifted. four. Titans that, is that four. That shifted then. So I'll stick with the Titans then. I think the Titans could beat the Ravens. Yeah, jerk. Why? Oh, did you pick the Ravens? Oh, sorry, I forgot. I the Ravens just—they're the one team that I despise. I just—they're not exciting. I don't think they're as good as people make them out to be. You think they're not exciting? What do you watch Tennessee? Well, that's very true. But <laughs> I know Tennessee's not exciting. But at least their head coach finds ways to win. Baltimore's not going to have a run game. Lamar Jackson's not going to be able to get out of the pocket like he typically does. So I think the Titans can pull up an upset. Plus, they're the home team in London. I don't know if you knew that, BK, but yeah, they played in London. They were the home team. He, he learned if I'm going to go with one upset going into this weekend, I'm not even sure I totally believe it, but the Cardinals on the road at L.A. That's the one it, I have. It, it's not a real home atmosphere. Seven-point line in that one. Cardinals have been frisky for most of the season. I like the Rams a lot, but this could be two offenses that end up get, putting up some pretty decent numbers. I, I like the Cardinals a little bit in that game. Uh, don't. There's just not a lot of great options. If you're looking for one that is probably most likely of the, the bigger spreads, it is. Probably to your point, the Titans. Um, don't don't sleep on the Colts. By the way, I know Richardson is out. Gardner Minshew, man, he can sling it. And Minshew mania. I actually Taylor, thought about taking Zach the Jags Moss, minus the four in that one. I like the Jaguars a lot. Good duo too. I I almost took Jaguars minus the spread, but I said, you know what? 
Gardner Minshew's played okay when he's been back behind center, so maybe he could surprise Jacksonville and get away. All right, final thing we'll get out of here on this. Very quickly, Alex, who's the team that can gain the most in your mind if they win this weekend? Mm, Probably the the, uh, Eagles, just because that offense hasn't been impressive, and that's a tough defense to go up against with the Jets. So I would say the Eagles... It's the Bucks for me. I, t- I took the Lions side of this one because I don't believe in the Buccaneers right now. If you are able to get a win against a legit threat in the NFC, at least in my mind, I'll have to start t- taking you a little bit more seriously as somebody that's probably going to make the playoffs this year. So the Bucks for me are a team that can absolutely gain a lot. See, the Bucks are the only team to me that really stands out as can gain a lot with a win. Win against a team that's supposed to be like what? Top tier in the NFC. Yeah. You're in you're in the conversation the as a team to watch out for. Maybe the Colts since it's that yeah. conference. Prove you, you can survive without Richardson. Yeah. I think either the Bengals or the Seahawks could gain a lot uh, based yeah, on agree. a win in that game that's, as well. That's a, that's a really fun one. I, I liked your pick there. For Alex and T Bone, I'm BK. Hey, enjoy the weekend, guys. Mizzou, big game tomorrow, big NFL spread as well. Blues back in action tomorrow evening. Alex has the call for that one. Or excuse me, he'll be on the pregame coverage for that one starting at six. Curbs and Joe on the call at seven o'clock right here in your home of the blues. 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it's time for the Fast Lane. They've got Craig Berube coming up at 2.30. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.